Welcome back to Hey Look Listen. My name is Liam Sheehan, deep in the Caribbean, Monkey Island. The original Monkey Island game, The Secret of Monkey Island, came out in 1990, 31 years ago, and is pretty much one of the most notable examples at this point of the point-and-click adventure genre. And the point-and-click adventure genre is an offshoot of just the adventure genre. Adventure games are best defined as being story-driven, dialogue-driven, and mostly based about solving puzzles, uh, mostly um, item-based puzzles. The genre sprouted out of the 1970s and kind of took took a few different forms, like through the 80s um, as well as the 70s, a text-based adventure game was very popular, which you'd literally have to type in what you wanted to do. So you'd be like, clickety-clack, look at Tree Stump, and the game would be like, I don't know what you're talking about. That, that's my um, that's my biggest experience with uh, text-based adventure games. But there are huge uh, pioneers of the genre. Um, uh, the King's Quest series, you know, kind of in the '80s, kind of started making them graphic adventure games. So it wasn't just text on a screen. You were seeing this world created in front of you, and that and that and that leads right up to 1990 when uh, Monkey Island came out. Now, Monkey Island was made by LucasArts, who was, um, yeah, that's George Lucas, Star Wars man. And it wasn't the first adventure game that they made, but it would very much come to define what a LucasArts adventure game was. Uh, before this, there were there were some other notable games, like Maniac Mansion is a game that I love, but Maniac Mansion, you could lose. You could, uh, and there was ways to be killed or defeated in that game, and games like Monkey Island would get rid of that aspect entirely the only way you lose in monkey island is if you get stuck and you don't know what to do there's no kind of fail state in monkey island noted filmmaker quentin torontino would um when talking about some of his favorite films like rio bravo and uh dazed and confused he would coin the phrase for films a hangout film which is like not so much story driven or narrative driven is just kind of a, a a world to sink into and um we did an episode of hey look listen before about Telltale Games, and uh, in, in the preamble to talking about that, we talked about Monkey Island and we talked about LucasArts because that's um, very relevant. And one of the topics that came up is the idea that point-and-click adventure games are most notably about puzzle solving, but one of the key aspects that people don't bring up enough is like, you know, yeah, the puzzle solving might not be kind of the main thing on display here. It might not be the main reason why people play these games. Um, I think they are hangout games. To quote Mr. Torontino, the esoteric cartoon logic puzzles that they offer um, are great, but they what they do best is they facilitate everything else. They facilitate you getting into this world, being in this world, talking to these characters, enjoying the dialogue, and just being in the game, just inhabiting the game. They're comfy, cozy games. It's a comfy, cozy genre. And it's always mostly been a kind of a niche thing, even in their heyday of the, kind of the 80s and the 90s. They had huge fan bases, but... They were always niche, and these days um, they become even more niche. Uh, the, the genre still survives mostly through indie games, and perhaps people who grew up with these games kind of recreating them and kind of carrying the torch. Well, I, I would say it was a dead genre for a while, though. LucasArts themselves stopped making point-and-click adventure games or adventure games in general um, 20 years ago, roughly. But I think one of the main reasons why they've always been a bit niche is because there's always been a debate around the genre and its validity as a genre. And naysayers of the genre would say that the puzzles are often too esoteric and there's always one solution. So you have to kind of get into the designer's head and they've come up with this madcap puzzle solution. But I don't know what you're thinking, developer. 
And so you often end up getting stuck in these games because you can't come up with the one strange solution to this puzzle. So you just end up wandering around these games. Um, there's no potential to kind of express yourself with a point-and-click adventure game. The, the kind of aim of the game is to find the one solution to kind of get into the mindset of the developer like i said and uh, figure out and figure out this puzzle and when that's done well that could be really fun extremely fun and really satisfying when it's done badly it can be torturous and i think people who love the genre will always admit that it can be bad sometimes but um for that reason i said there a while ago the kind of hangout vibe of, of the genre i think even people who love it while admitting that uh, some of these games are bad. Just, they just love them anyway. They love being in them and they, they defend them a lot. But there are examples of particular games that do the genre incredibly well. Case in point, I'm talking about Monkey Island. But is Monkey Island really the golden avatar of point-and-click adventure game perfection that it's often cited and remembered as? Maybe let's, uh, let's ruminate on it. As anyone listening is probably very much aware at this point, I'm... By myself, uh, in this episode I'm doing our solo one, that's kind of uh, the situation we got going on with Hey Look Listen for now, just kind of, you know, the three of us will be together as much as possible, uh, when it's not possible I might just um, throw out a solo episode, but I'm not numbering my solo episodes as official episodes because uh, I really believe in the sanctity of the triumvirate of Hey Look Listen and I will respect that, but I do enjoy doing these solo episodes and I, one, one aspect I really enjoy doing about them is that I... Uh, I can just talk about whatever I want, can't I? I can just talk about whatever the fuck I want. And I really wanted to talk about Monkey Island. And what I was going to do, my initial plan, was to do a deep dive on on the series. Because I absolutely love Monkey Island. I think it's about 20% of my personality is just holding a candle for this franchise eternally. It's technically a dead franchise now, which I think is why it it, it kind of has a bigger place in my heart almost. Because, you know, it's... It's gone. It's gone. I can only look back at it in remembrance. But uh, throughout its life, there was five Monkey Island games altogether. Uh, there was the first Monkey Island. Like I said, The Secret of Monkey Island came out in 1990 and was designed by uh, Ron Gilbert. And then only a year later, uh, its sequel came out, Monkey Island 2, LeChuck's Revenge. And these first two games are very uh, auteur-driven. They they complement each other. They're, they're very different in a lot of ways, but as a duology, if you will, uh, they complement each other very well. And what happened after Monkey Island 2 was that Ron Gilbert ended up um, leaving LucasArts. So by the time Monkey Island uh, came out again, six years later in 1997 with the third one, The Curse of Monkey Island, but not only was Ron Gilbert not involved anymore, but a lot of the other heavy hitters from the franchise who worked on it, like uh, Tim Schafer, Dave Grossman, they, they weren't on it either. So the third game, The Curse of Monkey Island, had a whole different team and it was six years later, and it, as such, it feels kind of fanficy in a way. It doesn't, like I said, the first two games complement each other really well, but it seems like whatever the intent of the original designer, if he ever got to make a third one, has kind of been lost because a new team had to kind of uh, pick up the mantle, and it, it feels very different. Uh, but luckily, the third Monkey Island game, other than that regard, is an absolute triumph from writing to voice acting to graphics to puzzle design to everything it's an absolute delight of a game but if you are a huge fan of those first two games it, it, there might feel like there's a lost third one that never got made because uh, ron gilbert walked away from the franchise but luckily the third one is still great in 2000 there was a fourth monkey island game and it was i always i'll always defend it it's a game i i really enjoy it's just that um it essentially killed 
LucasArts making point-and-click adventure games. Uh, this was the, it was the last one they ever made, and it's technically not even a point-and-click adventure game anymore. It's um, 3D. You play with the you played it with the with the keyboard. It kind of springboarded off Grim Fandango, and unlike Grim Fandango, the whole 3Dness of it really didn't suit Monkey Island, and it, it it it's such a shame. It's kind of an awkward beast of a thing. Um, I have other problems with it as well, but uh, by and large, it's um, a game I'll I'll always defend. I really like it. And then that was the end. That was uh, Monkey. Uh, that was the end of Monkey Island. And LucasArts stopped making point-and-click adventure games. They focused on uh, making Star Wars games. And then the company was completely liquidated when Disney bought um, everything to do with George Lucas around the time when they bought Star Wars and everything like that. And that happened around the time of uh, was it Avengers One or Iron Man Three? I like to remember dates by uh, MCU movies i think that's the easiest way to do it uh it makes life simpler i started going out with my girlfriend age of ultron but then in 2009 uh nine years after escape from monkey island the fourth monkey island game there was a fifth and final monkey island game which was made by telltale games um which was actually comprised of a lot of ex LucasArts staff and it was an episodic game it was released over um several months um in five chapters and I always thought it was a worthy inclusion to the franchise I thought they captured the spirit really well that's it uh, it's 2021 now and there hasn't been um, a Monkey Island at least a new one since that time uh, Monkey Island 1 and Monkey Island 2 were both uh, remastered um, a couple of years after um, Tales from Monkey Island uh, which is fantastic uh, but since then nothing it's it's a dead franchise I, I live in hope that it might return someday but I digress because i'm actually not doing a deep dive on monkey island like i like i originally intended because i was um ruminating on it and i wanted to i wanted to talk about monkey island as a series but i also wanted to kind of celebrate and analyze point and click adventure games through the lens of monkey island and as i was thinking about it i started to realize that i don't if i if that's my goal which it is i told you it is i'm not lying i don't really need to talk about monkey island as a whole so I came up with a different idea. I'm going to talk about a single Monkey Island game. In fact, I'm not even going to talk about a single Monkey Island game. I'm going to talk about the first two parts of Monkey Island 2, LeChuck's Revenge. In the first two parts of Monkey Island 2, LeChuck's Revenge, I have said for a long time, is the best capsule, best example of the point-and-click genre. It's just in, the, in those first two parts. Monkey Island 2 is composed of four parts or chapters, but if you just take those first two parts, you have what is essentially my favourite run, my favourite my favorite example of the genre. And I believed that for years. Uh, if I ever did speed dating, that's what I'd talk about when it was my goal. Someone, someone would come up and I'd be like, oh, first two parts of Monkey Island 2, LeChuck's Revenge, uh, the Largo Embargo and four map pieces. I think it's the best example of a point-and-click adventure game. But when I was preparing for this episode, when I say preparing for an episode, I was doing shopping and just thinking about it or something. I was, I don't know, watching something I wasn't enjoying on, Net- on Netflix and thinking about Monkey Island, This is which is often what I do. But when I was still considering doing all the Monkey Island games and I was just thinking about Monkey Island 2 and how I was going to sing the praises of it um, and mostly its first two parts, I was thinking, do you know what though? Those first two parts, I might be a little bit too close to them. I might have played them too many times over and over again because I like to return to Monkey Island games. I like to return to Monkey Island 2 uh, every now and then just because I like being in it. It's a game I, I enjoy sinking into. And I was thinking about it like, am I too close to analyze it um 
properly? Do I have too much love for it? And if you actually stand back from it a little bit, those two parts of um, Monkey Island 2 also contain a bunch of the big no-nos of the genre. They contain a lot of the do-nots. They contain a lot of the things you shouldn't do um, for a point-and-click adventure game. And I will cut them some slack. This game was made 30 years ago. That's a lot of time for a genre to evolve and improve and the people who make them to learn from their mistakes. But I hold Monkey Island 2 up on such a pedestal that I, for a lot of years, I don't think I've ever been holding them accountable for their mistakes. But the point I'm trying to lumber towards here is that I think if I talk about parts 1 and part 2 of Monkey Island 2, LeChuck's Revenge, I can give my cleanest analysis of the point-and-click adventure game. Um, all the things it does wonderfully well, all the things I love about it, and all the ways it kind of falls short sometimes, and the ways that can be improved. Because I intend on critiquing my gaming heroes, the guys who made this game. You know, 30 years ago, they just, you know, changed my life by making this game, but I'm going to sit here and record this podcast and absolutely nitpick the shit out of Monkey Island 2. As such, I declare that this will be the first episode of Hey Look Listen that is not only just a loving tribute to an old game, a nostalgia trip, not not only an analysis of a game, but this episode will also function as a full walkthrough for the first two parts of Monkey Island 2 because I'm going to go through it step by step. And uh, hopefully that won't be tedious. Hopefully that won't be tedious. I, I, should, I, should I edit out my insecurities? No, leave them in, Liam. Sorry, that was, that's Terry, my sleep paralysis demon. But listen, I won't make this like a dry walkthrough, just kind of go here, do this, go here, do this. I'll try to paint a picture. Like I said, I find this game incredibly cosy, so I'm going to aim to make this episode of Hey Look Listen a very cosy... Oh, f- hold on, my neighbor's cat's at my balcony door again. Fucking... So yeah, I'm going to make this a very cosy episode, at least that's my aim. A little bit of preamble first um, for anyone who really hasn't played um, this type of game and can't visualise it. You point and click your way through this world and how you interact um, with everything in Monkey Island is through a series of nine verbs. Which, between you and me, I always thought was a bit too excessive. They would, they would refine and pare that down with um, future uh, LucasArts games. But yeah, yeah, you, you, you can interact with the world through nine verbs. Give, pick up, use, open, look at, push, pull, close, and talk to. So if you see a box, you can click look at box. If you want to look at the box, if you want to push the box, you can click push and try to push the box. It's all very uh, self-explanatory. And just another bit of preamble, I, you know, I'm talking about Monkey Island 2 here, so I might as well briefly summarise Monkey Island 1, the secret of Monkey Island. In Monkey Island, you play as hapless, well-meaning doofus Guybrush Threepwood, who is just begins, he's on the island of Melee Island, which is um, a haven for pirates and ne'er-do-wells. And we know one thing and one thing only about Guybrush Threepwood is that he wants to be a pirate. So at the behest of some pirate leaders, he completes three trials on Melee Island. And over the course of completing those three trials, he learns that Melee Island is governed by the beautiful Elaine Marley, and that it is being terrorised by the ghost pirate LeChuck, and that he is in love with Elaine. And just in time for him completing his three trials, he discovers that LeChuck has kidnapped Elaine and taken her to 
his stronghold on Monkey Island. So he gets a ship and he gets a crew, which immediately beauty him. And he travels to Monkey Island. And on Monkey Island, he consorts with cannibals. He slingshots boulders off of mountains. I'm not going... I'm here to go into detail about Monkey Island 2. I'm not going into the detail about the Pulse of Monkey Island 1. But he reaches LeChuck's ship just in time to discover that LeChuck has taken Elaine back to Melee Island, where the game started, so that he can marry her. So he makes it back to Melee Island. He crashes the wedding. He kills LeChuck with magical root beer... And the game ends with him and Elaine watching LeChuck explode into the sky like fireworks. All good? Okay, so now I'll do a much more labor-intensive rundown of Monkey Island 2 LeChuck's Revenge, uh, the first two parts of it. Part 1 is called The Largo Embargo, and Monkey Island 2 begins with our hero Guybrush Threepwood looking very different. He's now he's now wearing a, a kind of a luxurious jacket, he has a beard, and he's a bit more of a braggart. And he is on the island of Scab Island, and it, the game begins with him telling some pirates about um, his adventures, how he defeated the ghost pirate LeChuck, and they are incredibly bored by his bragging. And the game sets up its premise immediately. Now that Guybrush um, thinks of himself as some kind of pirate rock star, he has set his sights on one of the most infamous treasures, uh, which is called Big Whoop, and his aim of this game. Uh, of his life now is to find a treasure of Big Whoop and his two pirate companions that he's um, telling stories to um, immediately tell him like why are you on Scab Island there is no treasure here and Guybrush was like yeah I didn't know that when I got here so now I'm trying to get a ship to get off this island so right off the bat this is good clean storytelling um, to kind of almost it's almost jokingly simple, and that's what you kind of want. Um, when, it, when, it, when, when you're juggling two things with a game's narrative, that being telling a story and also it being a game about solving puzzles, you want a clear goal straight away. You don't want to get too complex for the most part, I think. And I think uh, it's one of the feathers of Monkey Island 2's cap that it begins with Guybrush saying, I'm looking for the treasure of Big Whoop, and that is the plot of the entire game. So you, the player, are always orientated towards that, no matter what you're doing. And, and each of the goals that you're that the, the story throws at you is kind of a barrier in the way of Guybrush getting towards the treasure of Big Whoop. Case in point, now he needs to get off Scab Island, and that is what Part 1, the Largo Embargo, is all about. When you are first given control of Guybrush, you are in the town of Woodtick, and straight away there is um, some... Um, storytelling told uh, just through your just through gameplay or through, uh, through the mechanics of the game because your inventory is full of filthy lucre your inventory is full of treasure so just right there just um the whole bread and butter of this game is going to be filling that inventory picking up items and figuring out what to use them for but the game starts off and your inventory is full of treasure just to show that Guybrush has been quite successful since we last saw him in Monkey Island 1 but because um because this this is a, this game is a comedy, and in no way would a Monkey Island game work if Guybrush was ever on top. You literally walk two feet to the left, and Largo Legrand appears. And this this first chapter is called the Largo Embargo, and it's named after this guy. And Largo is a bully. He starts to shake you down for to pay a toll to get it, to get into Woodtick, and you can whatever what dialogue option you choose in this conversation, Largo will dangle you over a bridge and steal all your money. So immediately. Guybrush is brought back to zero. He has no items and no money. So you're now given control again. And since Guybrush entered through the right of the screen, you're most likely, you're going to keep walking left um, through the town of Woodtick. And Woodtick is a great video game location. It's just town that's hobbled together from a bunch of shipwrecks. And it just looks like a mess of ships. 
and it's uh, also a great early showcase for um, LucasArts' patented iMuse system. It was one of, the, one of the first games to do this, but the music of Woodtick um, has, it has a singular tune, a melody, but it changes um, depending on the player's action. So depending on what part of Woodtick you walk to, the music starts changing and it, kind of a, it shifts with you. It's great. But the game is funneling you to the left through Woodtick, and Woodtick is not a big location, but there are a few places... Um, to discover and that's all you're doing at this point uh, at the beginning of the game you know Guybrush wants to get the treasure of Big Whoop and Largo has just stolen your money and now you just gotta just walk and explore and as as you explore you'll find different locations on in Woodtick there is a carpenters there's a cartographers there's a dingy basement bar there is a laundromat with um a few pirates um sleeping on a ledge beside it and at the very end of the screen there is a hotel and as you just explore and that's what a point and click adventure game should be letting you do rather than dumping exposition on you um, in a cutscene or something like that you explore and you start picking up pertinent information through the characters you meet and through playing the game and, and the bread and butter like i said of a point and click adventure game is uh, exploring the environments and talking to characters and um as you learn uh, largo legrand is a huge bully who's basically running scab island and he has placed uh, an embargo no ships can leave or at the very least they can't leave without giving a ton of money to Largo uh, and none of the wretched pirates who live on Scab Island can afford to pay the toll so there is a huge embargo on Scab Island so now another goal you need to get off Scab Island because you need to get a treasure of Big Whoop but you can't because there is an embargo and a lot of the townsfolk you talk to seem to have come to their own conclusion of what the best thing to do with Largo Legrand is which is to create a voodoo doll of him in this um, magical pirate fantasy land of Monkey Island this is the the most logical thing to do and also in the cartographers you, you'll meet a cartographer called Wally and you'll get some more information about the mystery surrounding Big Whoop that, that no one really knows everyone knows about it but no one really knows what it is and you'll find through talking to different people talking to Wally that people disagree on the the name of the island that it's from some people will call it Inky Island some people will call it Drinky Island but the important thing about this early chapter of the game this little, tiny little part of the game is that you're just you're exploring, you're, you're chilling, you're having fun. You'll be picking up items you'll find. I'm not going to talk about particular items until I'm talking about the puzzle, that you, the exact puzzle that you need to use them for. That's why I'm going to do this. But you, you won't even realize what the game is doing at this point. You, you think you're kind of, you know, trying to solve puzzles, but you're not. You're just kind of absorbing information from these characters. You're learning about Largo. You're learning about the fact that maybe you should make a voodoo doll about him. And you're having fun. You're, you're getting sucked into the universe. But you'll come to a point when you've talked to everyone, you've picked up all the items you can, so you'll most likely go back and you can leave through the um, entrance of Woodtick. It seems like the game is kind of um, kenneling you into Woodtick, but it's not. There is a a world map of Scab Island, an island map, I should say, of Scab Island, and then you'll you'll find that there's other places to explore other than Woodtick. And even though you you won't be 100% sure what exactly you should be doing at this point, you'll be rewarded for exploring any of those places at your leisure there is um, a beach a cemetery a swamp and a peninsula and they're all much smaller than Woodtick so you, you, you don't actually have a lot of land to cover a lot of ground to cover um, which is good for the beginning of a point-and-click adventure game this is another good lesson don't overwhelm the player immediately I'm a big fan of the Discworld series and uh, of books and the Discworld had um, a couple of point-and-click adventure games back in the 90s and the first one in particular 
um, which is great. Eric Idle's voice is Rincewind. It's fantastic. It's, it's such a time capsule. But that game throws you into the city of Ankh-Morpork at the beginning and there's just so much ground to cover, so many places to explore and you're not quite sure what you should be trying to do and it's all too overwhelming. And I, it's, I, as much as I enjoy that game, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone, mainly because of this. It's just not well designed. So the exact size of Scab Island, I would say, is perfect. And if you're designing a point-and-click adventure game, don't throw the player into a huge land to begin with and a load of screens and a load of characters. I think Scab Island, in fact, is, pr- is a pretty good metric for how big you should make the first part of a point-and-click adventure game. But no matter where you decide to go, you'll be rewarded in some way. Um, there'll be items you can pick up, um, and, and that's a good lesson as well for designing a point-and-click adventure game, is that uh, throw the items about. You, you can find a stick on the beach. You don't need to use it on the beach, but going to the beach and just exploring you'll you'll find that stick yeah. spread items everywhere across across all locations but even beyond just filling your inventory there's other ways to feel like you're progressing if you randomly decide to go to that peninsula you'll find a boat you'll find find a captain and who you can talk to and in your brain you'll go okay this is probably how i get off scab island but of course the embargo at this point is still in your way you won't find true progression until you explore the swamp and you can get into a coffin that's uh, that's just floating in the swamp water and you can roll your way into this mysterious skull that swallows you and you end up in the lair of the voodoo lady. Voodoo lady is a great recurring character who is actually appears in all five Monkey Island games and she helps Skybrush in different ways. He always forgets who she is. She's like, oh, I think I remember you. Who are you? But she's always there to um, offer him magical assistance. And in this case, Skybrush tells her about his woes um, in terms of getting off Scab Island so we can find Big Whoop and Largo Legrand. And she tells you exactly how to make a voodoo doll with, with um, a, a mysterious spell. To create a voodoo doll of someone, you need to find four components that relate to that person. You need to get something of the head, something of the thread, something of the body, and something of the dead. And as Guybrush remarks, that almost rhymes. And this is a staple of the point-and-click adventure genre, and I think for very good reason, the shopping list. What better way to point the player in a direction to give meaning to their exploration by giving them a, a list of things they need to find. Now suddenly you're not exploring Woodtake and Scab Island aimlessly. You're given four quests, four quest items, you're, you're four things you need to find. And I think um, that's a brilliant design choice in Monkey Island 2 to give you four goals rather than a single goal that you're trying to achieve. Because if you have a single goal you're trying to achieve, uh, you, you, you find yourself getting stuck more. There's more ways to kind of succeed when you have four things you're looking for. Because even the likelihood of you stumbling upon something accidentally is, is bigger when there's four things that you're looking for. But I love this in point-and-click adventure games. I think it's, um, it's something that should always be copied. The, the shopping list of things to get. And uh, good to go back to Discworld for a second. In the second Discworld game, um, Rincewind remarks on this. is like, you're going to give me an inane list of things to go search for, aren't you? And as much as they lampshade it in that game, it is a good way to structure a point-and-click adventure game. So now you have four things to look for um, by way of a cryptic almost rhyme. And if you talk to the voodoo lady, she can um, elaborate briefly on any of these things that you're supposed to look for. So the game makes it very clear exactly what you're supposed to be looking for, which is another good lesson for this genre. Uh, make it clear what the player is supposed to be doing. Now you can have, like I said, you can have the player wander around initially. At first, good way to get the lay of the land, to get sucked into the world. But, I, but if you've given the player a direct mission, don't be vague about it. And Monkey Island 2 isn't. You need to find four things. Something of the head, something of the thread, something of the body, something of the dead. 
something of the head relates to you need to get something from Largo Legrand's hair essentially something of the thread means you need to get something from Largo Legrand's clothes something of the body means you need to get some of his bodily fluid something of the dead means you need to get a piece of his ancestor if you can and it's all cartoon logic nonsense you're making a voodoo doll but that's it that's what you need to do now and getting these four things comprises part one the Largo embargo for the most part and another good lesson and and, and Another good choice this game made is I would say three of the four of these things are not taxing to get at all. I think they're all quite easy. And and I think it's very much a good thing to start these games off easy. I mean, you, it, this is a rule for all games. There should be a progression of difficulty. But a lot of point-and-click adventure games I've played just throw you in the deep end because the, the designers want to get their clever puzzles uh, immediately. They want to show you what kind of clever puzzles they can design, nefarious puzzles. But I always think it's better to make the first couple hours of point-and-click adventure game a little easier on you. And so you start getting it because it feels good to solve these puzzles. So three out of the four, I would say, are really easy. And one I have problems with. Let's go through them. Let's start, I'm going to start with the, something of the dead because I think it's the one that you'd be drawn to first because it's the most dramatic. But also because you can see on Scab Island map, there is a cemetery. And this is another great thing when you're giving a player this uh, shopping list of items to find, you know. Uh, it can be, it, it's usually random things in this genre, but if it relates to um, the environment, it relates to the world in a very direct way like this, that's good. That sparks uh, something in the player's brain. You find out you need to get something from a dead relative of Largo Legrand. Click, you know there's a cemetery on Scab Island, so you'll probably go there. And if you go to the back of the cemetery, you'll find a bunch of tombstones and you can read them and they all have fun little rhymes on them as well as the name of the person who's buried there. And you read one of them, you find it's marked uh, Marco Largo Legrand. It makes it really easy for you. It, it gives him his same name. This is Largo's grandfather. And there is a shovel in Woodtick. At the very entrance of Woodtick, it is nailed to a no treasure hunting sign and I'm going. I'm only going to bring up items like this, like I said, when they're needed for a puzzle. But that shovel is right beside you when you begin the game. Even before Largo shakes you down and steals all your money, that sign is there with that shovel on it. So I think 99.9% .9 of players will immediately pick up that shovel and they'll have it in their inventory. So as soon as the voodoo lady gives you this um, list of things to get, I think it's very likely that the player will... Probably zone in on something of the dead first, realize that they need to go to the cemetery, read a tombstone that's marked, aha, Marco Largo Legrand, have the shovel in their inventory, and I think they will dig up um, that grave and get the arm, the dead arm of Largo's grandfather, which is the first item you need. That's one fourth of the way done. And I think that's great. Nice and simple, but there is a very clear progression of how that works. And you, I don't think you'll stumble upon that accidentally. I don't think you'll randomly go to the cemetery and go, oh, I have a shovel, let's see if I can randomly dig up a grave. Because a lot of puzzles in point-and-click adventure games are solved that way. Just being in the game, exploring and just trying whatever you can because you can, and then you'll stumble onto the solution. And I always think it's better if... If you if if you if you're on a mission, if if the game has pointed you in a direction and you're you're kind of on the scent of something, and this is a very early good example of Monkey Island too. I, I love this puzzle. It's nothing too fancy, but you I think I think you will just figure it out. You'll you'll go to that cemetery with the idea of like, can I dig up Largo's relative? And you will. Great stuff. Love it. 
I'm going to go with something of the body next, which is another puzzle I quite like. And it showcases another good way to design these games. When you're exploring Woodtick, you can go down into a dingy bar and you can talk to the bartender, uh, who I'll come back to later. He's, he's involved in a later puzzle. But uh, like, like all the other characters in Woodtick, he grumbles on about Largo Legrand and what a bully he is. But as you're talking to him, Largo comes down the stairs in, um, in a scripted event and, uh, and you know, shakes down the bartender for some protection money right before Guybrush and asks for, and he also asks for a drink and as he drinks the drink he spits halfway across the room and this is such a ridiculous moment that, and the game emphasizes it so it goes into a, like a little short animated cutscene of the spit slow motion traveling across the room until it like splatters onto the wall essentially this ridiculous scene is to um, lodge it in your memory um you won't have talked to the voodoo lady yet. You won't have got your list of items you need to get by the time you see the scene. But I would bet by the time you do get the list and you realise you need to get something of Largo's bodily fluids, you'll remember that ridiculous spit scene. So, another good example of how to design a good point-and-click adventure puzzle is use scenes like this, use cutscenes, whatever you want to call it, uh, purposefully um, to maybe help the player remember something or to give a clue to a later puzzle everything should be functional so you know where the spit is but Guybrush will not pick up the spit with his bare hands because that is disgusting and usually um I like I, I like in inventory um puzzle games like this I I, I the, all the puzzles are very cartoonish but I like kind of items that you have serving their function so if you have a ladder for example you don't get a ladder in this game but if you have a ladder you should use it to climb up somewhere um, that you can't reach without a ladder, it shouldn't. They should, the, the, the developer shouldn't come up with this wacky uses of a ladder that only they, they only they came up with, for the most part. So I think um, I, if I designed this game, I would let you pick up a handkerchief or something like that in on Scab Island, because that's the most logical thing you think to wipe up, wipe up spit with a handkerchief or some kind of cloth. But explore the entire island and pick up all the items you will and. Um, if you've gotten every item you can, you'll have a piece of paper. It's in Wally, the cartographer's room. And I do think it works. I think when you look at all the items you have at your disposal, you'll look at the piece of paper and go, that's probably the best thing I have by process of elimination to wipe up the spit with. And that's the solution. Get the spit on the paper. Now you have two things. Next, I will do something of the head, which is a puzzle that kind of works works for me as well. It's not really a puzzle in the sense that you kind of you almost get pointed in the direction of the cemetery or towards the spit. Rather, just by exploring Woodtick, you can get to the end of the screen to where the hotel is, and the hotel um, has a um, a guy behind the counter, but he has no um, dialogue tree, which is the term for when you you can choose a bunch of different dialogue options and essentially get in a conversation with a person. Like he he's very much there as a as a as a barrier, and you you discover that Largo is staying in this hotel. All this guy he tells you all this guy tells you is the salient information that the hotel is completely booked out by Largo. Largo is the only person who lives in this hotel. So you know where Largo is, even though you can't get into his room because uh, the hotel owner is in the way. So even though you won't be here specifically trying to solve this specific puzzle, I do think telling you where Largo is, you are you are going to automatically try to get into Largo's room because you're trying to make a voodoo doll of this guy. You're trying to get something from his head, something from his clothes. So you, you try to get into his hotel room. And the solution is quite wacky because the other most um, notable thing in this hotel is that there is a weird alligator animal tied up to a post nearby and it has a, like a bowl beside it with, it with a name on it. So it, it is a pet. 
But uh, yeah, it's uh, quite a, a dangerous looking thing. And in Woodtick, there is actually a hidden area. And I'm not delighted by anything being uh, kind of hidden like this. I think the fun of a point-and-click adventure game is to kind of very much know where you're exploring and know what your lo all the lo locations you can visit and then try to figure out puzzles based on uh, all the information you have. I don't think hiding something from a player is all that fun, but maybe I'm being a bit dramatic. It's not that hidden. On the main woodtick screen, you can actually climb in the window of that bar that I talked about earlier. You can get into the kitchen of it where, where there's a chef cooking some soup. And I would make it more clear, but it's not the most hidden thing in the world, so I won't I won't uh, make it too much of a criticism about it. But anyway, in that kitchen, there is a knife on the counter, and for now, that's all I'm going to talk about this kitchen. Once you have that knife in your inventory, that is the only sharp thing you'll have. So perhaps you might think to cut the rope that is tying up that alligator in the hotel with the knife, and if you do, the alligator will run out of the room, and the hotel owner will chase after him, revealing that he has a peg leg because, you know... The alligator probably bit it off. Bit of visual comedy there. But yeah, nice, simple, if unremarkable puzzle. Now you can go into Largo's room because there's no one stopping you. And exploring Largo's room has a, a, a short time limit on it. The longer you stay in there, uh, Largo will come in and he'll kick you out. And uh, it's actually quite annoying that you have to walk a few screens away before the room empties again. And it's kind of annoying. But if you go in there, you'll probably be immediately drawn to his table. It's the most um, noticeable thing uh, in, in the screen. And you pick up his toupee which is on the screen, and actually this counts as something of the head, because if you give it to the voodoo lady, um, she'll be able to get uh, I don't know, scalp fragments off of it. So that's the solution to that one. I'm not as enthusiastic about this one as, as was the other two, but it's fine, it's a fine puzzle. The one I really have a problem with is this fourth one in this initial um, quartet of items you need to collect. Um, something of the thread. You need to get a piece of Largo's clothing. And this is kind of the first um, opportunity I have to kind of analyze how you can make a good puzzle in these games that doesn't work because of how you structure the puzzle. It might require you to make too many difficult leaps in logic or even worse, you might know what to do, but zoning, on the specific, zoning in on the specific way that the game wants you to do it can be a little bit unclear. Now there is a laundromat in Woodtick so your brain would probably make that connection, um, but it, it, it's a laundromat run by a character called Mad Marty, who's very hard of hearing. But when you talk to this character, really the only dialogue options involve you needing to get a, have a claim ticket to pick up your laundry. That's really only you, you only you, all you get from him, so it's kind of a dead end. Stepping outside of um, the, uh, the walkthrough for a second, the solution to this puzzle is messing up Largo's clothes so that he needs to make use of the laundromat. So therefore, if you have his claim ticket, Marty can give you his clothes. And that is great. That is that is good stuff that all logically makes sense. The only problem is the breadcrumbs leading you to the solution are not very good. And and the, the, the execution of the solution itself, I think, is a little bit too difficult to figure out. But I'll go through it. Maybe you won't agree. Maybe you'll yell. Don't yell, okay? Especially if you're listening to this in public. So on the same screen as Mad Marty's laundromat, there is a bucket just hanging there. You'll need that. Pick that up. Um, outside the voodoo lady's hut in the swamp, you can use the bucket with swamp water to fill up your bucket with mud. And this is fine, but I would make it more of it. The swamp water doesn't look like it can be an item that can be clicked on initially. It, it looks like a piece of the background. I would either... Um, 
I would either make the the fact that you can that there's mud that you can fill up this bucket with more kind of um, apparent on the screen, or uh, another way to make sure that the player knows that they can fill up this bucket with mud is to maybe have different locations on Scav Island that you can use to fill up the bucket with mud. Because mud surely is everywhere. It's a dirty pirate island. I just think um, it's not very clear that you can fill that you you could fill um, the bucket up um, with swamp water. It's just uh, that's and that's an annoying little. If you don't figure that out, you're you're miles away from figuring out this puzzle. And then the solution is to go into Largo's room, and there is a, a door in Largo's room that if you tr- that the entrance that you just came through, if you try to close it, Guy Brush will remark, "There's something wrong with this door. It doesn't close." fully and that and that's another clue what you're supposed to do is use before largo barges in because this is something he does if you're just meandering around you will realize this by this point that largo keeps coming in at a certain point and kicking you out you might get frustrated by that that also might make you less enthusiastic about going back to explore um that room because he keeps kicking you out and you got to walk screens away to make sure he's gone again and that's tedious so that's another thing i don't like about this puzzle that largo's room is an annoying place to explore so you need to find the clue that the door doesn't close properly and then you need to have the mental gymnastics to think the door doesn't close properly and Largo keeps coming in and out of it what if I place a bucket of mud on top of the door so when he walks in the mud will fall all over him there'll be a hilarious scene he'll get really angry then when you go to Mad Marty's you'll find him at the laundromat complaining therefore uh, letting you know that Largo's clothes are now at the laundromat and yeah, that's all fine. I would make the change. I would put more emphasis on Largo being... I, I, I would have him be a regular at the laundromat. I would have a dialogue option with Mad Marty or some other character or anyone connecting Largo to that laundromat um, more obviously. I think this puzzle does work. It, there, there is logic to it. But just getting you getting you to that to that idea that I need to mess up Largo's clothes so that he'll use the laundromat... It's just a little bit too difficult in, in the way the, the game is presented. And another really annoying addendum to that is that you then need to get his um, claim check card. And the solution to getting his claim check card is just going back into his hotel room and closing that door again. And the claim check card is is on the back of the door. And I straight up hate this. It's just an unnecessary little part to the end of this puzzle. Just have it on his table in the room or something like that. Have it in, in clear view. Hiding it from the player is just a pointless um, add-on to this puzzle and also it's a very annoying place to hide it um, it's not clever it's not fun to figure out in fact I don't know when you think to close that door again now that you've, you've, you've done that puzzle I don't even know I, 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 to go back to the putting the bucket on the door puzzle closing the door in the first place is not something that's like obvious um, for the player to do like why would you think to do it I, I just think yeah I don't like this door <laughs> involved anyway in this in, in this game and in this puzzle I don't like it, it it's not satisfying but that's the solution, and I would not have—I would not have it on the back of that door. It's a really annoying puzzle. But then, as soon as you have his um, claim check ticket for the laundromat, and you've dumped the mud on him, you can give it to Mad Marty, and Mad Marty will get his clothes for you, which is a pearly white bra. And the game only makes a joke about that being um, a surprising thing, and never makes any other joke about it. Doesn't make any kind of dated 1990 joke about Largo's clothes being a pearly white bra. It's just there. It is what it is. Monkey Island 4 in 2000 made this joke. It would it would be much more dated. Somehow Monkey Island 4 is much more dated in that regard, but massively digressing. That is not um, a chain of puzzles that I like all that much, but I think the solution to making that better, like I said, is just linking the things better in the player's brain just linking largo to 
the laundromat better and maybe giving a better clue of putting that bucket up on that door closing that door and putting um the bucket on it honestly i wouldn't have made it a door if i redesigned monkey island 2 and that's kind of what i'm doing with this um very arrogant analysis i'm kind of redesigning it in some ways i wouldn't have it be the door i'd have something precarious there something that already looks precarious like something that could look like it could be knocked over and um i think that would um be more obvious to maybe put the bucket of mud on but like let's move past it that's it that's the four items you need you go to the voodoo lady she makes you the voodoo doll tells you that the magic is weak on it you need to be very close to the victim so you have to return to largo's um hotel room and you got to use a pin which the voodoo lady also gives you on the voodoo doll and boom boom you bully largo off the island but uh some plot happens in the midst of that where uh, guybrush reveals that uh yeah yeah i'm the guy who killed the chuck and largo reveals that he used to be the chuck's lieutenant and guybrush the braggart that he is reveals he still has the chuck's wriggling ghostly beard and largo takes it saying that oh now i can resurrect the chuck but most importantly um the game returns you to the voodoo lady after the scene and she gives you a book at this point which is a big clue on the treasure of big whoop and this book will be the key um, to launching you off on a series of puzzles in part two but we're actually not finished part one Largo and Barger yet despite the fact that we've created the voodoo doll and uh, chased the Largo off the island because now if you return to the peninsula where um, the boat is and the captain dread who the game jokes is um, Captain Dread. He sounds like a, a scary customer, but he's actually a very chill Jamaican dude with dreadlocks. But when you talk to this guy and uh, try to get off Scab Island, he'll have a, a litany of reasons why you can't. Number one being there's an embargo on the island, but now that you've uh, done the main quest, that's gone. Uh, one of the other reasons, and it, I would kick this puzzle right out of the game, if I'm being honest, is that he dares not sail without his lucky um trinket his a necklace with an eyeball on it the eye that's seen the world he calls it which um leads to a very funny call back to monkey on one but whatever but yeah you need to kind of find um uh a replacement necklace for him and the solution to that is wally the lovable cartographer who tells you all the information about big whoop earlier on he um if you hang out in in his screen and in his in his room and you will because you'll be exploring and you'll be looking at items you'll notice that every now and then he takes off his monocle and rubs his eyes and this is actually a puzzle i like in these type of games um just the environment changing in such a way and you kind of observing it so you you look at the very animated way wally takes off his monocle and like rubbing his eyes then you might hover your cursor over the monocle and see that when it's on the table it becomes like an item you can interact with if you try to pick it up if you don't do it in time you know wally will pick it up but if you're on time you can actually pick up the monocle and poor wally can't do his work and he can't see anymore and as much as i like that puzzle though i still just boot it out of the game because it just feels like an, an, an unnecessary step to getting off scab island and the connection of i have a magical necklace eyeball thing um and the replacement being oh i have this monocle you take this and he's like yeah yeah i'll take this 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 will do this will be a good replacement i i don't like it i don't think it's good but the main reason why i kicked this puzzle out of the game is because there's another roadblock to you getting off scab island is that um captain dread requires 20 pieces of eight and you are broke and i just think lifting the embargo and getting the money for captain dread is enough you do not need this weird monocle puzzle in the middle of it get rid of it lucasarts so beside Mad Marty's laundromat, there is three pirates asleep on a ledge, like I said, and they're actually um, characters who appear in Monkey Island 1. They're, they're unnamed. They're just called men of low moral fiber, parentheses, pirates. 
and um, you can chat to them. And by this point, you definitely will have chatted to them. They're, they're super notable. They stand out. And in the midst of chatting with them, uh, one of them has a peg leg. It's very pronounced. It's dangling off the ledge. It's, it's, it's one of the most defining things about his character design. But in the midst of talking to him, he'll, um, he'll ask you to polish his peg leg. And he'll give you one piece of eight to go buy some wood polish from the carpenters to do this. And you can do this. And each time you polish his peg leg, uh, you will get one piece of eight from him. And Monkey Island, not just being a, a puzzle game, is also you know a comedy. And uh, the developers definitely like to poke fun at the players sometimes. You can do this um, quite repetitively. And he'll give you one piece of eight each time you polish his peg leg. Until you reach 19 pieces of eight, in which you'll say he has no more money, you need 20 pieces of eight to get off the island. So this is actually um, a red herring. You don't need to do this at all. Uh, it's just funny. I like it. I like it more because this peg leg will um, be a part of a puzzle later on. So this way of making you remember that this guy has a peg leg um, <laughs> by just putting this uh, non-puzzle in there actually works for me. This is a good tool to make a player remember something again. But uh, yeah, it kind of puts you into a corner. You can only get a maximum of 19 pieces of aid. You need to get more money. Uh, the solution to um, getting more money is to usurp the job of cook um, from the bar. Like I said, you can sneak into the kitchen in that um, in that bar. And this is good. Um, uh, way to, how, how do you get money? You get a job. There's real world logic in that. But again, I would signpost this more. If you talk to the bartender outside... There's no real dialogue option for, like, can I get a job? Can I have a job in your kitchen? And that's what I would change. I would put that in. I would have it all over that um, dialogue tree of give you, the player, the ability to ask for a job, only for the bartender to tell you, oh, no, I already have a chef. He's working. And that would make you think, oh, if I get that chef fired, I can take this job. I can get money. I can pay Captain Dread. And that's exactly how the puzzle works, except you don't really have... Guybrush should have more of a drive to get that job to get money and yeah that's how i would improve that so you need to get the chef fired he's making soup he's making cold soup in um the kitchen i like this puzzle if 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 you you can get a rat there's a rat you can get as inventory item and i think if you have the rat already if you figured out the rat puzzle which i'll get to in a second and you're in that room with that soup i just think the Games release some kind of, you know, because there's, there's no real repercussions, they release some side of, of most people. I think most people will just stumble upon the solution of this puzzle just because they'll put that rat in that soup, even if they don't know why they're doing it. I would just like if you knew you needed to steal that job but more. If that was clear, if you were, if you were really aiming to do that and you, and you went down there going, I'm going to put this rat in this man's soup and get him fired would be a little bit better but i still think i don't think many people who ever got stuck on monkey island 2 got stuck on the putting the rat in the soup puzzle because i think human race awful as we are i think that people just put that rat in that soup just of their own accord but there is a rat and beside those men of low moral fiber parentheses pirates one of them has a pet rat and he's skittering around he's extremely noticeable noticeable and there's a box beside him and catching this rat actually requires um, three inventory items because you can't pick up the rat, he's too fast. You need to go to the beach where there is a stick on the ground. You need to go to the voodoo lady's hut where there is a piece of string hanging off a table. And this string, I will say, is a little bit too small on the screen. There is a term um, used um, disparagingly for um, point-and-click adventure games called pixel hunting, which means like 
you have to hover your mouse cursor over the screen only to find one like individual tiny part of the screen that's you know this is a piece of string this isn't the worst example of that i've i've ever seen but it's it's definitely notable i think it should never happen in point and click adventure games one of the least satisfying ways to get stuck in these games is to realize there's an item on a screen that you like it wasn't hidden from you you just didn't see it because they designed it so small or the graphics were so unclear i will actually later on return to criticize the voodoo lady screen entirely i think it's entirely too small because you have to do you have to do something here later but for now i'll say that that string although not diabolically small is a little bit too small but that's where you get some string and remember that crazy crocodile creature that you cut from the rope in the hotel earlier on he has a after he's gone you can examine his bowl of food and there's a cheesy snack inside and i think if you have any kind of real world logic and you're carrying around these items and you see the box beside the rat i think this is this puzzle's fair this puzzle's fair i think i think you'll connect the dots you need to open the box jam it open with a stick tie a string to the stick put the cheesy treat in the box the rat will go over to eat the cheesy treat you pull the string release the stick the box closes you open the box pick up a rat good good solid puzzle there that's a that's that's a puzzle you can bring home to your family no complaints from me as soon as you have the rat i've already talked about putting him in the soup i think it's fine i think it'll i think it'll happen for most players as soon as you have the rat in the soup you've got to go around to the bar order some food it'll all go down the chef will be fired because there's a goddamn rat in the soup and there will be a vacancy open you can get the job and the uh, the bartender will tell you oh first week's wage is paid in advance which is like amazing i think and again this is another detail i would love for this detail to be in the dialogue option before you fire the chef to for the for the for the information of working in my kitchen you get a, a week's wage in advance to be in the player's mind just to drive them towards trying to fire that chef or get that chef fired so they can get the money but alas this puzzle is kind of backwards and i it, it's, it's a little bit ropey but that's it you're you're given 420 pieces of eight far more than you need you can pay captain dread if you've already given them the monocle on that weird puzzle uh, you've already kicked largo off the island you are ready to go that's the end of part one the largo embargo and thus you enter part two four map pieces and this is another great lesson to be learned from monkey island 2 is the slow expansion of the scale of the game because in part two the amount of ground you can cover the amount of screens you can go to, the amount of characters you can talk to is uh, multiplied. But I think this is handled in a very measured way. And I, I think the size of part one, Largo Embargo, is is you've been dealing with that. And now you're just kind of let open in a bigger playing field. And I, I, I think, like I said, I think it's handled well. You have three islands you can explore now. You have, your, you have Captain Dredd's ship at your disposal and he will sail you to one of these three islands. Uh, and what's great is that one of those islands is Scab Island. So all the places you've been exploring and you become acquainted with, you become intimate with the with the knowledge and the surroundings of Scab Island. That's important because Scab Island is very much still in play in um, in part two. It's one of three islands you can explore. And I think that's good because when you're trying to solve the puzzles of part one, when you're trying to assemble that voodoo doll, you're going to be exploring everywhere you can in Scab Island. And by the time you finish part one, you're going to notice some things on Scab Island that they weren't involved in any in any solution most notably on the beach um the only thing you can do on the beach is chat to those two guys from the beginning of the game again that that comes to nothing you pick up a stick off the ground there is a a hut a locked hut called a weenie hut 
that that's going to stick in your mind that it was never used for any puzzle and maybe the main other thing is if you explore the cemetery you can examine these crypts that are that are locked and one of them is called stan's cozy crypts that has a, a sign on it and that is very strange and that is going to stick in your mind but what i'm trying to get to here is i like the idea of the game's um, size expanding at this point but also not abandoning the, the place you could um, explore before so while the game does get quite big at this point one third of the area you can explore is, is something you know already so it's not overwhelming the other two islands other than scab island you can now visit are booty island which is um, an island that's in a throwing a constant mardi gras and fat island which is a fascist state run by um, a dictator and i mentioned earlier before i started waffling on about monocles and throwing rats into soup that after you run largo off the island and do that big story point uh, the voodoo lady gives you a book that is a big clue um, to getting the map to big whoop and that is that there was a, 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 four, a crew of four people who discovered big whoop and after discovering it apparently it was a horror that they will never tell any other living soul so after discovering it they split the map into four pieces and went their separate ways and this um, part two is called four map pieces that's what you're doing in this part just as it, how part one is built around the, the shopping list of finding those four voodoo doll recipes part two is about finding four map pieces and this book that the voodoo lady gives you that you can examine anytime you want this is the this is the launching point that will send you in the directions you need to go to find these map pieces and I love it. I love it as a clue. I love it as a starting point um, to start solving some puzzles. Because when you examine the book, Guybrush will read a passage from it that kind of talks about the four members. Uh, Rapscallion the cook, Lindy the cabin boy, Rum Rogers the first mate, and Captain Marley the captain. And examining this book will also allude to their fates after going their separate ways. So this is, yeah, like I said, this is your clues of where, where, where you need to start exploring. Rapscallion opened a weenie hut on Scab Island. Ah, uh-huh, weenie hut. Uh, Lindy the cabin boy uh, went to Booty Island. There's no more information other than that. Rom Rogers went off the coast of Fat Island. And you don't really get much about um, Captain Marley, only that Guybrush's realization that Marley, Elaine Marley, that she's lost love from the first game. Now, here's the thing when you have this new um, Tri Island area map at your disposal and you have three maps you can explore, you have this brand new world open to you you're, that's what you're going to do you're going to start exploring but just from the an analysis point of view that i'm doing here this book is giving you the direction you need to kind of so you don't, you don't feel like you're aimlessly exploring you do have uh, immediately in this part you kind of have clues as to where you might need to go to find these four map pieces and you can choose to go to either booty island or fat island first or you can even just return to scab if you want but for argument's sake i'm going to say you go to fat island first because there's a little thing i want to get out of the way there's actually a story bit that happens when you first arrive on fat island uh you find a wanted poster of yourself on the wall it's actually a picture of guybrush from um, monkey island one except someone's drawn a mustache on him because one of the recurring jokes of monkey island two is that guybrush has um grown a beard and everyone remarks he's he's very proud of it and everyone remarks on what a shitty beard it is but you get arrested immediately upon arriving in fat island and you get brought to the mansion of governor fat who's just big fat man who's stuck in bed and getting fed through a series of tubes and he claims that there's a bounty on guybrush's head and that the uh, lechuck 
uh, the villain from the first game has returned and that um yeah he's, he intends to give you to LeChuck and then you get thrown in jail and yeah it's just a bit of story and uh, you need to escape from that jail cell and in the in, in in the jail cell there is a dog right outside the bars who has a key in his mouth and this is ripped directly from the Pirates of the Caribbean ride from uh, Disneyland or Disney World I've never been to either so I'm, I'm I was just about to look up I was like is it Disney World or Disneyland but you know what I don't give a shit about Disney theme park so I'm not going to look it up but yeah, this is a direct rip-off of uh, that ride, uh, that Disney ride, which, uh, funnily enough, Monkey Island is hugely influenced by um, that ride, uh, that Pirates of the Caribbean ride in general. In fact, there was going to be, there was talk of a Monkey Island movie um, in the late 90s, early 2000s, but um, that actually completely got thrown to the curb when they decided to just make Pirates of the Caribbean instead, and that, that destroyed the Monkey Island movie. But uh, forget that, digressing. You're in the cell. If you move the mattress on your bed, you'll find a stick underneath it. Uh, you can use the stick to get... Uh, there's a skeleton in the cell beside you. You can uh, use a stick to poke through the, the bars and get a bone. And if you give the bone to the dog outside, he will happily drop the key and take the bone instead. And um, you use the key to open the cell. I'm just moving right past that because whatever. It's good puzzles, fine. Well, actually, what I do like about it is that um, there is a logic behind um, giving the dog a stick as soon as you find that. And if you do do that, the game doesn't just go, mm, that doesn't work, because, you know, that does work. It, 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 that, there's a logic to that. It's just that the dog doesn't get enthusiastic enough about the stick to drop the key. Um, I, like, I like that the game does kind of acknowledge that most players would probably try to use a stick on the dog. And after you're, uh, now that you're free of the cell, there is um, an envelope on, the, on, on, the, on a counter. Uh, a, a, a vanilla, two envelopes actually, a vanilla envelope and a gorilla envelope, which is funny. Because all your items are gone now that you're um and that when you were thrown in jail and if you examine the vanilla envelope you'll see that it's marked Guybrush Threepwood it'll say that he arrested for um, crimes too numerous to list and if you examine the gorilla envelope it'll it'll go on about a monkey who was arrested for grinding his organ in public strange but um yeah if you pick up that vanilla envelope you can get all your items back so essentially um these envelopes um are the um, belongings of prisoners who are thrown in the jail and I will circle back to this idea later because it's a part of the most heartbreaking puzzle in Monkey Island 2, which I think should have been one of the best puzzles in point-and-click game history, but the way it was handled is wrong. And it actually involves this prison and these envelopes very, very strangely. But just for now, that's what you do. You get all your items back and you leave. Now that you've done that more kind of railroaded story section, like I said, you're free to explore the three islands as you will. But since I am kind of uh, doing a kind of a, a kind of a walkthrough here, going through, I'm going to going to do each map piece and the quest line to um, achieve or acquire each map piece. Um, I'm going to do them in, in an order of my own choosing. So I think I'll begin with the one that belongs to Captain Marley. Because before you get the ability to explore these islands, Captain Dread gives you a small lowdown on each one, uh, similar to the lowdown I gave you by explaining the islands. But one of the details he tells Guybrush is that Booty Island is run by Governor Elaine Marley, his love from the first game. Which of course stands out, and when you examine that book, you realise that the captain of the ship was also named Marley. A relation, perhaps? Yes, he's her grandfather. So going to Booty Island, there is a lot of information available to you that... Elaine Marley, the governor, is throwing a Mardi Gras party at her mansion. And when you're on the Booty Island map, you can just very clearly see the mansion marked on the top left. If you try to get there, though, you don't make it to it. You get stopped at kind of a, a toll booth of sorts. 
and there's a lady who's dressed up in costume she's actually dressed up in as the chalk it's a very funny scene and um she tells you that yeah you need an invitation to get to this party so i think this is a a, a good seed a good germ to begin the quest line you kind of know Elaine is on the island. She's in the governor's mansion. She's related to one of the people who has the map. I guess I need to get to Elaine's mansion. I need to get to this Mardi Gras party. Therefore, I need an invitation. And now I'm going to do that entire quest line because this is now, this is very similar to me going on about the, getting the four voodoo um, recipes. I said these quest lines are much longer. Uh, I, I'm not going to grumble about it. Honestly, talking in a room by myself about Monkey Island 2 is releasing a a type of serotonin I don't think I've ever felt before. I don't think I'll ever reach this high again. But okay, if you explore um, on your own accord, you'll come to the back alleys of Fat Island and you'll discover that there is a game of chance being played, a big roulette wheel, and you can watch a kind of um, ruffian playing that game as many times as you want and he seems to always win. And you'll also see that one of the prizes is an invitation to Governor Marley's Mardi Gras party on Booty Island. Easy. Handholdy. What you need to do is you need to follow that ruffian who keeps winning. Um, after he wins, you can actually go to the previous screen and you can see him walk into a different alley. You've got to follow him. He goes up to a door. He talks to a mysterious guy. You can only see his hand through um, a latch in the door. And um, this ruffian figures out what the winning number is going to be on this roulette game each time by playing um, this number based game with this guy you observe the guy doing it and then you knock on the door and you do it yourself and you know what this is a more like traditional puzzle i'm more interested in talking about the inventory based puzzles and how they all connect like a big web to each other so i'm not even going to spoil how to figure out this number puzzle after you figure out the number number puzzle though you can win at that roulette wheel anytime you want um there's three prizes money the invitation and uh, another a, a red herring um, prize. You can get it if you want. You don't need it. In fact, you also don't need to win the money. You can get it if you want. A few more pieces of eight, but um, it won't help you. You have as much money you need um, at this point. But that's how you win the invitation to uh, Governor Marley's Mardi Gras party. And it's also um, emphasized by when you a- a- examine the invitation that it is strictly um, a costume party, but that the invitation... Um, counts as a reservation for a costume also and since like you know you'll be doing your exploring like i said you'll just you know you'll become acquainted with places there is right there out in the open can't miss it on booty island in the main town of booty island there's a costume shop and there's a lot of fun characters you can observe in the costume shop but there's no puzzle in there other than just give the guy who owns it the invitation and he'll give you a costume which is um a pink dress that guybrush puts on again The hilarity of the situation is the only joke, no other judgment. Having this invitation and having this dress will get you past that uh, toll booth type thing I mentioned earlier and then you can get to Elaine's mansion and you can explore its grounds a little bit but let's just keep on moving. There's a a dog outside it um, that you can find out that she named, that's her dog and she named it Guybrush. There's an Indiana Jones reference made. But when you get into the party... um, there was two people making out on the stairs, uh, you, so you can't go upstairs. You're keeping you um, stuck in the living room. And, and I'm going on about how these games are just like wonderful places to be. And I love this party screen because you can, you don't even have to talk to them. You just walk Guybrush up to each party member, and you can hear all the awkward, sometimes you know, flirtatious, <laughs> small talk that's going on in this party. And there's just 
you can stay there for a while. They put they, they put a lot of effort into just having a lot of dialogue to these party goers and say, and I recommend doing that. But your attention will be absolutely drawn to your goal. It's on it's hanging from the wall, one of the four map pieces. Easy. Just pick it up and leave. That's one done. It's not one done, though. I'm only, I'm only being facetious. As soon as you walk outside, that dog called Guybrush starts barking at you. The gardener remarks that um, the dog is incredibly good at sniffing out um, Elaine Marley's possessions, and he apprehends you by throwing a rake at you and brings you to Elaine, and you lose the map. Then there is a sequence that is a great um, reunion between these two, and uh, I like that there was definitely some huge falling out between them, between games that we never discover just that Elaine now thinks he's he's an absolute dickhead. And he kind of is in this game, to be fair. Now, there's a small little puzzle here that you have to do. Um, it's a little bit atypical, but it's notable for me because I couldn't figure it out when I was a kid. You can leave that room as much as you want, but when you are in the room, you are stuck in a conversation with Elaine and she's taking the map. The, what, what you're trying to do is you're given four options of what to say to Elaine each time. Three of them are always asshole-ish, and one of them is, is kind of nice and romantic. And I guess when I first played this game, and I was younger than 10, like I was very young, I don't think I had the emotional intelligence yet <laughs> to discern the kind of um, the nice line of dialogue from the three kind of unkind ones. I don't really think I gained that emotional intelligence until about... No, I think when we recorded our um, Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater episode. But that's what you do. You essentially butter Elaine up by saying the nice things to her until she almost succumbs uh, to her memories of how, how you used to be star-crossed lovers until Guybrush absolutely messes it up by revealing that he's mainly interested in the map. And in a fit of rage, Elaine tosses the map piece out of the window. So you leave, you go outside, and the map piece is on the ground, but ah, it just blows away, and it blows so far away, it blows onto the map of Booty Island, the overall map, and it lands on the location that's at the utmost south of the island, which is a gigantic cliff. And it ends up um, dangling from a branch at the bottom of that cliff. And actually, the items that you need for the rest of this quest line to get this map that's a dangling are all in the Governor's Mansion, which I, I think is a very um, purposeful choice that they made to, to make sure that you get to the mansion first before you start thinking of ways um, that you can um, get this map. One thing you need, and I, I'll get the item this time before I, I say what the solution is, is that if you go to the back of, of the mansion, you can see that there's a kitchen. If you go into the kitchen, the chef kicks you out. But outside, there is a sign that's um, asking garbage men to stop making a rattle um, and collecting the garbage cans because you're waking the governor. Very clear um, clue. I like it. So the solution is to just um, push the garbage can to make a noise, and the chef comes out in a rage, and he actually chases you around. You have to, like click away from him and go around the mansion, which you can actually do a 360 around. I always used to really enjoy this part when I was a kid. And he chases you with this whimsical music playing. But uh, Guybrush is faster than him, so if you go all the way around the mansion from the other end, you can get into the kitchen before he returns. And there's hardly anything in this kitchen to look at except for uh, a big fish that's on the table, so pick up fish, please. And now, like I said, that map piece is dangling off a cliff on Booty Island. You can't even nearly reach it. You might need a fishing rod. There's a very clear place to get a fishing rod in this game. Um, on a pier on Fat Island, there is a kind of a dickish fisherman character who you can talk to. And when you go through the dialogue options with him, Guybrush ends up entering a wager with him because Guy, I don't know what Guybrush just wants to brag towards any character he can, even if he's lying through his teeth. But this fisherman thinks like Guybrush can't catch a bigger fish than he can. 
Guybrush says, I bet you I can. And if I can, you got to give me that fishing rod. And that's the wager. And yeah, this is fine as a puzzle. All you got to do is give him that fish that you found in the kitchen and uh, you win and you get the fishing rod. Fine. I don't think every puzzle obviously doesn't need to be this intricate thing. But this one always seemed a little bit too easy to me. And I think the only change I would make to it is the fish that you get in the kitchen just looks like a fish. I would design it to look like a big old fish, a big fucking fish. I don't know why like this fisherman is so impressed by it. It doesn't look that big to me. But um, like I said, I'm just kind of nitpicking, but um, that is my intention here completely. Once you have the fishing rod, you can go to that cliff and you can use it on the map that is dangling. But no, the merry chase isn't over yet because as Garbrush is just about to grab it with the fishing rod, a bird catches it in his beak and flies off. This, this map quest line actually is just all this whimsical um, merry chase. I'm going to say merry chase again. And the, the bird flies onto the overhead map of Booty Island again, and he flies to another location, um, which is on the northmost part of the island, which is a big old tree. And this tree is a strange location when you visit it because it has a bunch of um, holes running up it, and it has a plank sticking out of it. So the map is on top of this tree. As you know now, you saw the bird put it there. The solution is, like I said, there's an item you need in... There's two items you need, excuse me. There's two items you need in Elaine's mansion. There is an ore that's hanging off the wall um, in Elaine's room. When you return to Elaine's room after the big argument, she's not there anymore and you can freely explore it, which is the very clever way that the designers of this game gated your ability to use the ore uh, to, until a certain point. So you need to use the ore now to get that map that's gone up to the top of that tree, but the developers very much wanted to make sure you did not have that ore until this point in the game. So another good lesson for designing these games is that you can um, lock the player's abilities to get certain items. And they did this by making uh, Elaine be in that room until you have the big um, argument with her over the map. And after that, she's not there anymore. You, now you can get the ore. Another thing you can pick up at outside Elaine's mansion is her dog, Guybrush. And again, I think this is something that all players will do just because. If there's an animal there and you have an option to pick up items, everyone's going to try to pick up the animal. And yeah, Guybrush just picks up the dog and puts it in his pocket. Why not? Now, I have a little bit of a problem with this item. It's very much established earlier on, earlier on that by the gardener that this dog is brilliant at um, sniffing out Elaine's possessions. That's fine. That's been established. I like that. But I am of the opinion that with these games, any salient piece of information like this, you should have the ability to be reminded of it whenever. So that although I like that the gardener tells Guybrush this and then there is a, a whole scene dedicating it the dog barking at Guybrush when he steals the map from Elaine's mansion since the the solution that I'll eventually get to that what you need to use this dog for involves his innate ability to sniff out Elaine's possessions why not have Guybrush remind the player that when you examine the dog in the inventory when you examine the dog in your inventory Guybrush says something like oh he's so cute or something like that and uh, I don't like it I'm not here for it if if the eventual usage of this dog, this item, is about using him to get one of Elaine's um, belongings, which it is, then I don't see why you can't be reminded of that by examining the item. And there's a few examples of this I'm going to get to where I think Monkey Island 2 doesn't remind players of salient information enough. And it does it once, but you know... People who play video games, you know, most of them, no, nah, most of them, some of them, have lives outside of these games. You might put a game down for a couple of days, you might put it down for two weeks, you might forget certain information. And I think if it's important to solving a puzzle, 
you should always have the ability to be reminded of it especially when it's i can i can, I can fix it so easily examine the dog have guybrush say something about how the dog is really good at tracking down elaine's belongings but i'm getting ahead of myself here. you've got to get up to the top of the tree first and like i said there's a bunch of holes around the tree and there's a plank sticking out of it you need to stand on that plank you need to put the oar in the next hole and then stand on the oar but the oar breaks and guybrush hits his head and has an hallucinatory dream about where he meets his parents and his parents turn into skeletons and they sing that iron bones connected to the song and you know what it's an iconic memorable scene from monkey island 2 and it's a setup for a puzzle that happens in part three and i am not talking about part three in this recording so i will move straight on from that so you need to get up to tree but now your ore is broken um a kind of another roadblock a necessary one i'm not sure you know i'm, I'm not I'm, yeah fine it, it's an okay puzzle and um, the solution is to go back to scab island where there is that carpenter who will absolutely fix that ore for you just by giving it to, giving it to him so i think um yeah, I don't think the connection of um, figuring out to bring that to the carpenter is too difficult. But after he reinforces the ore for you, you can go back and step on the plank, put the ore in the hole, pick up plank, put plank in next hole, step on plank, pick up ore, put ore in next hole. And after doing this about three times, Guybrush says, oh, I think I, got, I think I know the idea here and he'll do it automatically. Which leads you to the top of the tree where there is a bunch of tree houses. And in one of them, you find that bird that took the map and he's standing on a gigantic pile of maps. And Guybrush cannot discern any of them from each other. He doesn't know which one is Elaine's um, map piece to Big Whoop. Um, the solution? Use Guybrush the dog. Because Guybrush can sniff out Elaine's possessions. He'll jump into the pile of maps and he'll find the one that's hers. And he will give it to you. That is a great puzzle. Like I said, that dog's ability to sniff out of possessions is the most important thing about him. You, the player should have been able to be reminded of it, and they're not. Still a good puzzle, though. And that is the first map piece. I got to it. I'm looking at my time now, and I'm like, okay, right, this is going to be longer than I anticipated, but that's one map piece. There's three more. And oh, how I'm going to nitpick so much more with these ones. And I get to talk about one of my favorite parts of Monkey Island 2, uh, the library I get to talk about a library and I have a feeling the library might be some people's least favourite part of Monkey Island 2 or definitely one that they don't look back at fondly. But there's a library in Monkey Island 2 that you have to use to solve some puzzles and I love it. And it's absolutely going to come up now. I'm going to talk about the next map piece and I'm going to choose uh, Lindy the Cabin Boy who, by reading that book that the voodoo lady gives you, you actually have the least information about this character. Just that he went to Booty Island and uh, eventually found ruin there, financial ruin there. But... That's fine, because actually his map piece is the one you're most likely to just run into randomly while exploring out of all of them. When you first set foot on Booty Island, um, the building that's right beside you is an antique store. And if you go into that antique store, there's a lot going on on that screen, but the map piece is on the desk right there in front of you. Now, I actually have a problem with this antique store uh, just as a part of this game, because there is like a load of items you can buy in there. For various prices and some of them are essential you need them to solve puzzles uh, most of them are not most of them are just things you can buy because they're just funny or they're red herrings and i don't think it's a good idea in a game like this to fill up the player's inventory with pointless items because it just if the player is stuck it just puts so many more options in front of them of how to figure out figure out these puzzles and i, I would prefer if it was whittled down to the essentials more 
It's one of the things I've never liked about Monkey Island 2. It gives you way too many items that don't have any bearing on any of the puzzles. And I don't like that. Uh, Monkey Island would do that again. I was about to say it wouldn't do that again in future games. It would, but not to such an extent, I would say, as Monkey Island 2 and this antique shop. But forget all that for a second. I'll come back to that. The great thing about the map just being right there also is that if you tried to pick it up, you could talk to the guy behind the counter. He gives you straight up the the immediate kind of solution of how to get this map. He's like, I can't sell it. It's the most expensive thing I own. However, sorry, he can sell it, of course. It's for like six million pieces of eight or something like that. It's a shop. I forgot how shops function there for a second. Um, he won't sell it to you for anything less than six million pieces of eight, which is far more than you can ever acquire in the game. So... You strike a deal with him, you've discovered that there's another antique that he wants even more than the map piece. It's uh, the figurehead from an ancient, um, famous um, sunken ship called the uh, Mad Monkey. So you just know, you might not you might have any clue how to get this figurehead, but at least you know exactly what the solution is to get this map piece. It's to get the figurehead of this famous shipwreck. Good, good stuff. Clean and easy. But how do you go about doing this? And let me tell you how you go about doing this is you go to the library on Fat Island uh, near those um, alleyways where you played that uh, game of roulette earlier on. There is a library you can make use of. And this is like a really in-depth part of Monkey Island 2 because the library has a filing system that you can examine alphabetically, Dewey Decimal System. And it has a bunch of books that you can like look up and you, you, you look at them in this filing system and any one of them there, you can have Guybrush remember the title of the book and go, oh, that, that could be interesting. And then you can go up to the librarian and you can take out any book you want. That is kind of overwhelming. And I just complained about the antique store in Monkey Island 2 and how it gives you too many unnecessary items to clutter up your inventory and clutter up your potentials to solve these goddamn puzzles. So I could throw the same criticism at the library because there is a ton of books you can take out from this library that don't have any bearing on anything they're just little bits of whimsy little funny funny titles and funny passages that Guybrush can read the read from them but there are a couple of books in this vast it's not vast vast but it's quite large filing system there are a couple of books that you need to, to finish this game and it can be quite overwhelming quite difficult to solve which books you need and I think in going step by step, the game's usage of this filing system, of this library, is fair. Difficult, but fair and satisfying. But first, you've got to get a library card and there's no puzzle um, behind this. You just need to talk to the librarian and you give information. Guybrush lies about his age. He's, he's 19, but he says he's 21. And that's important uh, later. And in this in this puzzle line, to get this map piece, you, you need this card with... Um, your age is 21 on it but as soon as you get that card you can book out any book you like and you can only do four at a time though and you actually already have one in your inventory that one that um the voodoo lady gives you is actually from this library and if you want to get more than four books you have to return that book um, i don't recommend doing that keep it in your inventory it's always a good clue but in that antique store back on booty island after you've discovered that you need to find a famous shipwreck and get the figurehead of it. Is it too much of a logical leap if you're really stuck in this game to go, I wonder if there's any information about this shipwreck in the library. I am of the opinion that it's not. 
it's hard, it's difficult, it's not the most obvious thing. But that connection could be made if you're truly stuck, because there's very little clues, there's no clues, in fact, of where this mad monkey thing or anything about this thing in the game is. So why not look it up in the library? And if you start looking up things in the library uh, on that filing system, you can... Another thing that it does that kind of complicates things is you can look up uh, shipwreck, let's say, for example, and it'll say CD for disaster or something like that. But if you go there hoping the germ of the idea, I might find something about the shipwreck that this guy wants me to find in the library. It is so satisfying to discover that, that, that it's there, that it works. And that's why I think it's a brilliant puzzle. And I think any time the library in this game is utilized in that way, it works because, yeah, it's, it's not the game holding your hand, but looking something up in a library should be a kind of a knee-jerk idea that you have. And the fact that the game would reward you for having that idea, that idea is brilliant. And that's what, that's what happens if you look up shipwreck or disaster in this library, you'll find a book about the mad monkey. And there's no real solution to that other than coming up with the idea to check the library yourself. And I like it. I like it a lot. And acquiring this book from the library gives you the longitude and latitude on a map of the location of where the mad monkey is. But this is not something that Captain Dread can help you with. And that's a little bit forced, a little bit convenient. He says earlier on, I only know to get to three places, Scav Island, Booty Island, Fat Island. So you can't rely on him to go to a specific place on a map, even if you have the location. But on Booty Island, quite near that antique store, there is um, a lady called Captain Kate Capsize who's handing out flyers for boat rentals. And I think once you um, accept in your heart that the game designers are not allowing you to use the boat you already have <laughs> to get <laughs> to get to this location, you, it's pretty pretty easy to make the connection that you gotta you gotta use Captain Kate Capsize. The only problem is that she is charging six thousand pieces of eight for boat rentals, and you don't nearly have that amount of money and there's no way to get that amount of money in this part of the game by ordinary means but there is a spitting contest you can win and that's what you have to do now the spitting contest the spitting contest it has its own screen dedicated to it on booty island so it's super memorable it's almost the centerpiece of booty island you'll always be drawn to it you can play it anytime you want it's uh, there's a crowd watching it there's a ridiculous man um umpiring it i guess and you can step up to the line and you can give yourself a ridiculous name and the game then allows you to make a bunch of like swish noises or just build up your spit by choosing these dialogue options and then spitting and seeing if you can spit as far as you can. Now the solution to get the 6,000 pieces of eight in order to rent that boat is to win the spitting contest, which you get a plaque for, and then to sell that plaque at the antique store for um from first that gives you enough money it gives you six thousand and i don't like that i don't think i think i think that's again a little bit unnecessarily unclear why not just have the guy who's running the spitting competition say win six thousand pieces of eight by winning the spitting competition then you clearly know you you have to win this competition that's your main goal and now you're obviously just by playing this game you're going to try to win this anyway it's going to be something you're going to you're going to want to do but i would prefer if you knew exactly why you were trying to do it especially because it's a really nefarious annoying puzzle to win that spending competition that has like different moving parts and three different elements you have to you have to worry about but even when you get that plaque i'll jump ahead for a little for a second even when you get that plaque it's unclear that it's like valuable like there's not enough emphasis put on that and then if you when you bring it to the antique store he doesn't want it until 
Guybrush kind of makes up this shite about, oh, it, it contains the spit of the man who killed LeChuck, his own spit. But even then, it wasn't clear that this plaque is made out of his own spit. It's just kind of a mess, and I would cut all that away just for clarity. It it should be very clear. Cash prize, 6000 and you know exactly what you need to spend 6000 and I'd like that better. But let's talk about winning this fucking spitting competition. I hated this thing when I was a kid. First of all, when you step up to the line to partake and you can make all these different swishing noises before you launch your spit, that's irrelevant. It's super memorable. I'm sure I'm, I'm sure anyone you talk to who's played Monkey Island 2 will, will remember this part. It lodges in your brain. But as a puzzle, it's annoying. No matter what you choose in that little menu and what kind of crazy pre-spitting noises you make, it doesn't matter. It's just it, it's not a part of the puzzle. And that kind of throws you off immediately because the game seems like it is important. So you can get stuck thinking that the order that you choose these spitting noises before you spit is important and suddenly your youth is wasted and you're in your 30s and you're oh you're making a video game podcast but yeah okay there's actually three things you need to do to win and this first one i do not like on the screen over from the spitting competition there is a a man an old man with a a cannon and he's waiting for the mail boat to arrive and he'll fire the cannon to announce to the island that the mail boat has arrived that's that's just the thing it's a thing in the antique store one of the many items you can buy in there one of the ones that's important you can buy a ship's horn buy that now it's not really clear with a lot of items in point and click adventure games that you know as soon as you have them in in your inventory it seems like oh yeah you need to use them with something in the environment something in the world and you know 90 percent of the time that is you know what you're using an item for it always kind of used to throw me for a loop when you actually just have to use the item as you as you have it on you so if you click use ship's horn at, once it's in your inventory guybrush will blow on it not incredibly clear but maybe that's just me i won't i won't go into that one as a negative maybe that's just me so if you blow the, sh- uh, the, the horn hopefully you'll start experimenting experimenting with it as soon as you get it on blowing it and hopefully you'll start experimenting it as soon as you walk out of the antique store because if you do it's a really easy way to accidentally solve this puzzle at least part of it is that once you blow that horn the guy with the cannon thinks it's the mailboat coming and he blows the cannon and the key to that is the guy who's running the spinning competition walks onto that screen and goes hey what's up is the mailboat here and there's a short conversation they like, no no it's not here i made a mistake so the the clear indication here is that blowing that horn gets the umpire away from the spitting competition now as it gets kind of more unclear is that you have to blow the horn on the screen with this pon- with the spinning competition i am going to edit this back how often uh, you're listening to me uh, how often have i said the word spitting competition in the last three minutes i need to move past this puzzle i need, I need to do it for my own sanity you need to blow the horn beside the spitting competition and that makes the cannon go off that makes the umpire walk away but also the small little crowd that's gathered all their heads turn away from um, looking at the, the field where the spinning competition is happening. And I, I I know it's hard to animate all these characters walking away, but it's still v- kind of unclear that they're not looking directly at it. It's not the clearest thing. And while that's happening, there's flags placed in the ground that kind of mark where um, contestants spit lands. If you try to pick up those flags while no one is looking, Guybrush will move them all back one, so they're not all as far away. And I don't love this puzzle. I don't love how suddenly the the um 
the verb that you have at your command pick up doesn't put it in his inventory he, instead he does a thing with it it's almost as if the kind of building blocks of the game's mechanics weren't equipped for move flags down one notch so I, they're kind of overthinking this puzzle and also like i said the crowd looking away blowing the horn in that specific place it's all very unclear it's i i don't like it i don't like this one but that moves the flags back one one mark because no matter what you do it's impossible to win the spinning competition entirely because um just because uh, a part of the puzzle is moving these flags back one the other part of the puzzle part two on scab island there is that bar you you've been that you've been to that bar since the beginning of the game and it must be said when you return to scab island in part two uh four map pieces there's some small changes to the environments you visited before which is a, which, which is a nice touch um the main one being that in that bar there's now a monkey playing a piano there's a piano there before but it was just left idle now there's a monkey playing it as a, i guess light entertainment we'll get back to that monkey later he's involved in my least favorite puzzle in the entire game maybe the entire genre of point and click adventure games but when you're first in this bar at the beginning of the game you have the dialogue option with that barkeep to order a drink only for Guybrush not being served because he has no valid ID. This is like a seed that's planted right at the beginning of the game. And I will, again, I'll get back to this again because in one of the other map pieces, one of the other um, quest lines to get the map piece, uh, I, I'm actually going to analyze this bar- bartender and his his dialogue tree and how um, LucasArts uh, let us all down on this one. But for now, the important thing is you have a library card now. And the library card has your fake proof of age on it, 21. So now you can start ordering drinks, and there's uh, three drinks you can order. The Bloody Nose, the Blue Whale, and Yellowbeard's Baby, um, which are all whimsical names. We all, well, Yes, it's very funny, but the important thing is, obviously, these are different colours. And uh, you can order them to your heart's content, and you can start mixing them. There's no clear indication that you can start mixing them, but they look like test tubes almost. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to start mixing them, I have no problem with this in in terms of that and the 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 point here is to just experiment with it there's no key kind of breadcrumbs left for you just start experimenting with mixing drinks and mixing the colors because you you create drinks based on what colors you mix and the bartender also gives you a crazy straw which is essentially the game mechanic way of choosing to drink these drinks use crazy straw with drink and yeah, you just got to experiment. You just start, start making drinks and you realize you can make a, a bunch of different colors and that's fun and there must be a reason you do that and just start drinking them. And if you make a green one and Guybrush drink, drinks it, he will say, oh, this makes my spit thick. And Eureka, that you're, you're immediately going to connect that to that damnable spitting competition. And that is part two to the solution of winning is that before you play, before you spit, you got to drink the green drink to make Guybrush's spit thick and I guess more potent. So once the green drink is drank and those flags are moved, all you got to do is spit. No, there's one other aspect and it's, I don't know, I'm in two minds about it. It's, it is a eureka moment when you notice it, when you figure it out, but it's also very sneaky. It's incredibly sneaky and the, the last part of the puzzle is that there is one um, crowd member who's like watching you spit and she has a kind of a sash i guess around her waist and every now and then that sash on her waist blows in the wind and the final solution is to click spit just as her sash blows because the wind is blowing and if you've moved the flags if you've made guybrush's 
spit thick with that green drink. What am I doing with my life? What am I talking about? If you do all those things, you win the spitting competition. That's how you do it. I think it took me half of my childhood to figure that out. And I already covered earlier that I think in a perfect world, the prize for this competition would just be cash. But no, you got to do the whole thing where you sell the prize to the antique store. You get to 6,000 pieces of eight. You go to Kate Capsize. You hire her ship. Uh, she asks you where you want to go. You got to do a, a bit of detective investigation work yourself in this. You got to read that book you got from the library. It tells you two numbers. They're different every time you play the game. You memorize the longitude and latitude. You... Um, point them out on the map for Kate and she brings you to that location and there's a running joke in Monkey Island that Guybrush can hold his breath for 10 minutes so um, water is never a, a factor for him in any puzzles he just goes down you pick up the figurehead of the mad monkey because if you followed all this correctly you've gone to the exact right location you get the figurehead you bring it back to Booty Island you s- trade it to the antique salesman for the second piece of the map god damn it I hate that spitting competition but going to the library and figuring out, figuring out exactly where the Mad Monkey is um, shipwrecked, I like a lot. So, I don't know, am I reviewing each of these map piece puzzles? I am now. Um, hate the spitting competition, but I love... I, th- I think it's it, it's difficult, but I love how, how much it's in the player's hands to um, investigate and figure out where this where the ship is. But let's move on to the next one. I'm going to go with um, Rapscallion the Cook. And when you read this book you get a big clue. He opened up a, a weenie store on um, on Scab Island and you've probably already discovered this weenie store. You've seen it on the beach and there's nothing you can do with it and the door is locked. So that clue of where Rap is or where he might be or where his map piece might be is actually a dead end. You actually stumble upon a bigger clue later on, um, probably just doing your own thing. And there's two things you need to do. There's two trails you need to follow. You'll need to acquire a certain book and you'll need to start remembering and investigating Stan's cozy crypts. Let's talk about the book first. In Governor Fat's mansion on Fat Island, which is the place you got brought to and you had a, that um, scripted conversation with him, you can actually return there and uh, anytime you want. And there is a guard blocking the stairs. Um, but weirdly enough, they just decided to not make getting past this guard a puzzle you just you do you just do a dialogue option with him and you can distract him and you can say you can say there's a fire in the kitchen or there's a three-headed monkey and he'll go off to investigate it. You can just walk straight up the stairs and Governor Fad is sleeping in bed and there is a book um, resting on his stomach. You can examine it and it says it's a book of famous pirate quotations and you won't know why this is important but it's there. It's uh, it's something to try to attain. I think that's okay in these games sometimes, you know, you might not know exactly why you want something but it's there so you might as well try and take it. I would prefer when it's goal orientated when you kind of, you know why I want this. I know I know what what this will help solve, what puzzle it'll help solve. But to get the book, you can't pick it up because um it it starts waking up Governor Fat. So you actually need to Indiana Jones it at the beginning of Indiana Jones. You need to replace that book with another book. And what I like about this puzzle is that because it kind of the fact that there's so many books available at uh, the Fat Island Library actually works in this puzzle's favor because it'll make it likely that you'll have some if you've investigated and started poking around this library you'll probably have some book that's irrelevant in your inventory you'll probably just go oh I'll, I'll try to take this book out or I find this book amusing you might not know why you wanted a book but it's there you can take it. I think for the first time playing this game, the likelihood of you having a random book in your inventory is very likely. And uh, 
that's the solution. Just take any book and replace it with the book that's on Governor Fat's stomach. And if it's a book that's uh, critical to finishing this game, Guybrush will not swap it. It's just the irrelevant books. And another kind of thing that makes these books kind of um, handier. I love complimenting the library in this game. Is that if you have an irrelevant book in your inventory, Guybrush will say as much. You, you can examine it and he'll read a funny passage from it. But then you'll say like, I don't know why I took this book or something like that. That's kind of the designer is kind of giving you a kind of olive branch in terms of like, yeah, there's a lot of books you can attain. We're going to tell you the ones that aren't important. But yeah, once you have this book of famous pirate quotations, you can examine it. And it has about six quotes each attributed to different pirates and the quotes are always the same but each time you replay this game uh the names and which quote are attributed to change but one of them is attributed to rapscallion and i like this again because it, it requires you the player to have some observation to have some memory of, of events it doesn't hold your hand enough you just have to link it you need to remember that name you need to link it you need to go that's one of the guys with one of the four map pieces i'm looking for a rapscallion i read about him in the other book and I like the lack of hand-holding here. I like it leaving it up to you to put those two dots together. But great, you have a quote from Rapscallion. It doesn't help you much yet. The other strand of this is, uh, like I said, when you're first on Scab Island and you're investigating the cemetery, you're likely to come across an odd crypt that's marked as Stan's Cozy Crypt. Like, why? like it's marked as a business. And Stan is um, a recurring Monkey Island character. He's in every Monkey Island game. And the joke about Stan is that he's a kind of a, a shyster. He's a businessman and he always has a different business in each game. If you've played Monkey Island 1, this will keep that crypt in your head even more because you'll remember Stan, the name. But when you get to Booty Island, right beside where Kate capsizes as handing out leaflets, there is a shop marked Stan's previously owned coffins. So you're naturally going to be drawn there. And the way they designed the screen of the interior of Stan's previously owned coffins is that there is a very prominent key hanging from a hook. But unfortunately, you're not allowed to investigate this screen because Stan um, comes at you with his sales pattern and he tries to sell you a previously owned coffin. So you're stuck in a kind of a dialogue branch with him. You're not, you're not able to just um, investigate as you please. But I like the way they drew that key bigger than it needed to be, more prominent than it needed to be. Even though you can't move about, your attention is going to be drawn to it. And I think that's enough to link it with that crypt that's on Scab Island with the completely strange sign on it, Stan's Cozy Crypts. So yeah, you need to get that key. You don't know why you need to get it, but you need to get that key. And the way to do that is to um, get Stan out of the way in one of... Uh, my favorite puzzles in the game not not really in its um complexity in, in in the way it's designed but just in its unnecessary cruelty i love unnecessary cru unnecessarily cruel puzzles in these games going way back to the beginning of the game on scab island i said there's a bunch of places you will be investigating chatting to people one person who i've brought up is the carpenter who you you got him to fix an ore for you earlier on um but one of the things about this that carpenter screen that i never went on about is that there's tools around the place like um hammers and nails but you can't pick them up he's there he's he's there he won't let you pick anything up and that that would probably like lodge in your brain so when you're talking to stan you can get him to show you a coffin to demonstrate a coffin for you this is a this is a brilliant setup by the way this is why i love monkey island it's so ridiculous but you can get him to jump into a coffin to kind of he's trying to sell you this coffin so you can say like oh let me see what it's like and he'll jump into it uh, to show you it's a roomy coffin and while he's there and he's chatting away you're given control for not long for about 10 seconds 
So the game is clearly telling you, okay, you have him in the coffin now, what you're going to do. And you can close the coffin while he's in it and he'll keep, you'll be like, oh yeah, good idea. I'll show you what it's like when it's closed. And he'll, uh, he'll, he'll keep chatting away and eventually he'll get out of the coffin. Uh, you might think, yeah, um, wouldn't it be handy if I can like nail him into that coffin? <laughs> and you can. You need to get the hammer and nails from the carpenter's uh, shop on Scab Island. And the way to do this is difficult but I, I, I would err on the side of this being an okay puzzle, probably because of uh, I brought it up earlier. Um, there's a character on Scav Island who has a peg leg. Yeah, you can polish it earlier on. I went on about it. He can give you exactly 19 pieces of eight, but not 20. So that peg leg has been lodged in your brain, hopefully. And remember that it's a thing. Um, but I still think there is a little bit of a leap in... Um, how you have to utilize this peg leg to get the carpenter out of his his um, shed, and um, how you do that is you need to saw it off. And there is a saw um, available f- in the antique shop on Booty Island. You can buy it; it's in in clear sight. You can't have it the first time you're on Scab Island, so you can't um, saw off that peg leg. But you will most likely have this in your inventory. Um, it's pretty easy to find. You most have you most likely have it when you return. And you saw off the peg leg and you walk off and the guy wakes up and realizes, oh shit, my peg leg, doctor. Someone get a doctor and, um, you know, who's a doctor for a peg leg? It's a carpenter, isn't it? It wouldn't be a doctor. This is funny stuff. This is what we had in 1991. We loved it. And with um, the carpenter dealing with fixing this man's peg leg, you have free reign of his store and you can take a hammer and nails. Uh, I like this puzzle. I think... Again, I think there is more clues that could be given. There's always, there's always more clues you can give in, in, in dialogue options. Just have a dialogue option with either the carpenter or the guy with the peg leg that links them together. Have the guy with the peg leg saying, I'm always breaking my peg leg and I'm always having to rely on that carpenter to fix it. Easy. Like, uh, I, the developers are probably thinking that might make the puzzle itself too easy. But now that we're 30 years removed from this game and looking back at it, this is how you should design these games. Like, I, I, yeah, it might be a little bit easy, but what you've done there is you've connected the two things in the player's brain. And when then when they decide to say, oh, that carpenter's always fixing this guy's peg leg, how about I wreck it so I can get into his shop? That's a more satisfying um, solution than probably what will happen when someone's playing the game, which is, I'll see if I can soft this guy's peg leg and see what that gets me. Much better to have a kind of a reason why you do things and I feel like a broken record I feel like now that, now that I'm recording this episode is this my main criticism for the Monkey Island 2 puzzles but uh geez I'll keep going anyway and once you have the hammer and nails you can now um hammer <laughs> and nail Stan into into the coffin uh, when he's demonstrating for you and then you have free reign of his shop and you can take that crypt key and quite amusingly actually is that in Monkey Island 3 when you meet Stan again he's still nailed inside that coffin you find him in a crypt on an entirely different island and I just like that bit of continuity. That's funny to me. But once you have that crypt key, and the crypt key, when you examine it, says Stan's Cozy Crypts, uh, the connection is loud and clear. You can open that crypt back on Scab Island, and you can get in there, and there's a bunch of different coffins. And uh, each coffin has a quote on it. And there you go. Now, you might not have the Book of Pirate Quotations by this point, but if you do, the link is, is, is right there. Each of these coffins has a quote and they all line up to the quote that's in that book. you got to check the book, find out which one is Rapscallion. He's the only one who matters. He's the only named character. He's the only prominent one. So it's got to be him. Um, 
I'm okay with that. That is, you have enough information here. So you find the one that is marked with Rapscallion's quote and you open it and there's ashes inside. And now it needs to be pointed out, the game won't allow you to open up any of the coffins that are not Rapscallions. So you need to figure out which one is his and you can't get this wrong, essentially. Guybrush won't open the wrong one if you get the quote wrong or something like that or you just try to um, just try to, to choose one at random. So as soon as you open up um, the coffin, all you find is some ashes inside. And you can pick up the ashes. Now, earlier on, I alluded to the fact that I was going to complain about the voodoo lady's hut. And this is the point in the podcast where I complain about the voodoo lady's hut. The voodoo lady's screen, um, where you, get, you, you roll on a coffin on, on the swamp water and you get swallowed by this skull. It's all great design that brings Guybrush down into the voodoo lady's lair. And the way the, the, the artist depicted the, the, the hut down there, the screen, is kind of... A small area you begin in and then you kind of walk through shadow and you end up in where the voodoo lady is sitting. And I I like this, it's all mysterious and it's memorable and it's cool. But the problem is, like I said earlier on, there's a kind of a piece of string that's very hard to see in that screen. Uh, My main problem is to depict the voodoo lady's hut in this way, it's kind of rendered in small. And there is a puzzle in that hut that involves examining a shelf full of voodoo ingredients. And depending on where you hover your mouse, it'll always say something like, you know, jar or something like that. But what you discover is that if you make Guybrush examine different parts of the shelves, you will yield different results. Basically, it looks like it's all just jar. That's all you can examine, jar. But if you examine the top shelf, Guybrush will talk about how the label says a different voodoo ingredient and so forth. And I'm sort of okay with this as a concept. I, I like the idea of um, the player investigating um, the various things on the shelf will actually um, yield different results and you'll discover different things because one of those jars is actually important to the quest. All the other ones are not. But my problem being that if you're going to do something like that, don't put it on a really small screen like uh, like this um, Voodoo Lady's Hut is. I would have gone right back to the drawing board with this one um, for the artist and I would have designed that screen to have the shelves and um, the contents of the shelves extremely prominent and extremely obvious that there are different things on that shelf because I recall playing this game when I was younger and this was a kind of a point where I got stuck that didn't feel fun to kind of realize oh there's one thing on this shelf I didn't realize was there I examined this thing I examined this thing but I guess I didn't hover my mouse over this small enough shelf enough to realize that there was this item on it that I didn't notice. And it's a shame because, like I said, I like the idea of just having various um, voodoo things and, you know, like, it gives the writer a, a good opportunity to come up with all these like ridiculous spells and potions that the voodoo lady might have on her shelf. And I like the idea that, you know, you can examine them and have a bit of fun examining them, but one of them is important. And I like the way that it might be up to you to kind of realize, oh, this one might be relevant to something I got going on in this game right now. Because one of the Mickey Uppy voodoo things that she has on the shelf is called Ash Be Gone. And you can examine this and try to pick it up at any point in the game as soon as you reach the voodoo lady's hut. If you try to pick it up, the voodoo lady will call you into her uh, mysterious side of the room and say, Hey, that's just a display model. But if you have the ashes and if you've discovered discovered Rapscallion's ashes and you kind of realize, Oh, there's... um. There's something about ashes in the voodoo lady's hut. She has some kind of mysterious potion that re- revolves around ashes. Um, this opens up a kind of a new opportunity where Guybrush will actually um, inquire further about what this potion is. 
And like I said, I think generally this is a good puzzle. Um, that would be made much better if the jar itself was clearer. Uh, the hardest part of making this connection is finding the jar itself. And that's a, that's a big no-no. Big old no-no. But once you do, and once um, you have the ashes and you um, inquire the voodoo lady like uh, about this Ash Be Gone potion, she tells you that it can revive people from their dead ashes. She just needs a small sample of ash, the person's ashes, which you have. You took it from Rapscallion's um, coffin. And she also says that, oh no, she's forgotten the recipe. And I like complaining about unnecessary kind of addendums to some puzzles, uh, kind of an extra step too far. But again, I like this one because um, it forces you to think to use the library again. And if I'm about anything in this rundown of Monkey Island 2, LeChuck's Revenge, it's that I'm, I'm all for the library. Love the library. And all you kind of get from the voodoo lady is, oh, you have the ashes, damn, but you know what? Now that I'm talking about it, I can't remember the recipe. And that's that's there's no further hint. And again, like uh, the ship finding the shipwreck, I think it's fair for you, the player, to kind of go. The voodoo lady's like maybe lost her recipe book. She doesn't know the recipe. I'll go to the library and see if I can find something that um, revolves around this. And you can if you look up uh, voodoo. Like if, if that's the connection you're going. Well, I'll go to the library and see if there's anything voodoo related. If you look up voodoo voodoo in the library, it. Um, suggest that you go to or for recipes and then you can find if you go to recipes you can find a book that is literally about voodoo recipes this is good i love this the only problem is i tested this uh, recently enough <laughs> uh, is that if you maybe have this kind of um seed in your brain and you're like okay okay she's she's missing a recipe maybe i can find a cookbook or something in the library if you look up cooking it doesn't link you to the book you need it, it gives you another book that's you know not useful to you and I feel like I don't know I, I feel like that's a little bit just too annoying I would um I would lead people who go to cooking to the correct um book as well I, I just think they added that in to kind of throw some people off and it's a little bit unfair because this was already a difficult puzzle I think anything involving the library is a difficult puzzle so you can kind of um soften it a little bit but by just removing that cooking book and or if the player does look up cooking in a similar way that they look up voodoo they should be directed towards recipes to get that voodoo recipe book and once you get that book you bring it back to the voodoo lady and she whips you up uh ash to life little uh behind the scenes of the production of this podcast i paused at this point and went back and listened to my recording and i called it ash be gone a couple of times I am not going back and editing uh, my spiel that I made about that thing. Any Monkey Island diehard fans, I'm sorry for some reason I called it Ash Be Gone. When it's called Ash to Life, a pun that makes much more sense considering the context of the potion. That was uh, the first episode of Behind the Scenes of Hey Look Listen. Get to see how the magic happens. But once you have this potion made up, you can return to Rapscallion's coffin and you can use it on the larger mound of ash that is there. And I really like this part just because it's so surreal and strange and oddly melancholy. You actually revive him in zombie form from his ash. And there's, like I said, there's really melancholic music and he doesn't realize he's dead. And it's played for laughs. It's all very just weird and strange and surreal. In fact, in The Curse of Monkey Island in the third game, there's a weird throwaway joke where Guybrush has a flashback to this moment and just kind of absolute bizarreness of the whole thing. And it's just kind of, did that happen to me? Is this something that happened in my life? But there's not much of a puzzle here. Uh, your, your puzzle solving to get this map um, piece is done at this point. This is just kind of a little final story part where 
he agrees finally to give you his piece of the map. And first he insists that uh, he'll take it to his grave. And Guybrush is all like, oh great, it's here. <laughs> you have it? <laughs> but um, he, he'll, he'll agree um, to give you his map piece if you um, do him one solid. If you do him one favor, he, he can't rest his soul until he, he has one lingering regret. He thinks he left on the gas stove in his weenie hut. So finally this weenie hut that's on the beach in Scab Island finally comes into play. He gives you the key for it. You go there, you open it up. All you do is turn off his stove, which is absolutely on. Go back and tell him that, yeah, you were right. You, you totally left it on. You can go to the afterlife with no regrets now. And yeah, and that's it. And he gives you the map. I, I'm perfectly okay of this whole section not having a real puzzle. It's just kind of there for the flavor of it, the atmosphere, the, the writing. And uh, like I said multiple times... This genre is very much about that too. So that's three of four of the map pieces. Um, I've saved this one for last because it's um, the one I have a lot of problems with and I want to I want to go through that. And this is going to be nitpicky like all of this um, recording has been. But I truly believe that in this quest to get this fourth map piece, uh, you can get these map pieces in any order. I, I don't know if I ever said that or if I said that with the, the voodoo pieces. Uh, sorry, the voodoo recipe um pieces at the beginning of the game as well you can get these in any order i've just chosen my own order but i truly believe that this um map piece to get this map piece has one of the best puzzles i've ever seen in a point and click adventure game but they didn't signpost it well enough so i think any player who solves this puzzle will just do it accidentally by stumbling around i don't think anyone like i literally almost i don't think anyone would actually just figure this puzzle out because they were trying to figure this puzzle out so i'm going to kind of analyze it in a way that if you reshape this it could be so much more satisfying to have um the player actually try to solve this puzzle with a goal in mind similar to throwing that rat into the soup earlier on which i think would be more satisfying if you were trying to get that guy fired rather than you were just trying to cause anarchy by throwing rat into the rat into the soup but to begin i have to go on about what is i think regarded as the most hated puzzle in monkey highland history perhaps and, and maybe um in point and click adventure game history at least it's always brought up as an example of how not to do a puzzle in this type of game and i 100 percent agree but to begin this uh, quest line i need to actually return to weirdly two simian based things that i've brought up before when you got arrested earlier on and you had to escape from the cell with that uh, pirates of the caribbean ride homage um like i said your items were all thrown into a vanilla envelope and beside that vanilla envelope, there was a kind of a joke, a gorilla envelope, because presumably there was a gorilla arrested and his possessions were thrown into a gorilla envelope, not a vanilla envelope. If you pick up that envelope and open it, um, you get two things. You get a banana and you get an organ grinder, because according to the envelope, this gorilla was um, arrested for grinding his organ in public. Haha. <laughs> uh, the organ um, is a red herring. It, the item has no usage in the game. Uh, I'm not for that. Uh, I don't like it. But the banana, you need the banana. And the other thing I brought up that was monkey based is in the bar on Scab Island. Um, once part two starts, there is a big change in that bar. There is a monkey called Jojo playing uh, show tunes on the piano. And yeah, again, you don't really know why you'd want to pick up and or capture Jojo. But I think most players will try to do it anyway because he's an animal. You have a banana in your possession. Uh, if you try to give Jojo a banana, it doesn't, it, it doesn't yield any results. But there's a metronome on the piano uh, going back and forth. And if you stick the banana on the metronome, it'll cause Jojo to go into a trance. The bartender will give out to you for 
um, messing up his night's entertainment and then when Jojo is stunned or in a trance you can pick him up and now similarly to how you had a dog earlier on now you are holding a monkey and in your little inventory screen in the bottom um, Jojo is posed in a very particular way it's not clear but he's supposed to be posed in a very particular way and the suggestion is that he's still stunned from having the banana on the metronome which would be again a nice thing if if Guybrush if you chose to make Guybrush examine Jojo in your pocket and Guybrush could say this monkey is stunned he's stuck in place or something like that but no you're getting nothing like that which uh, is one of the many reasons why this puzzle that involves Jojo absolutely sucks but um, the fourth map piece is the final crew member is Rum Rogers Sr., the first mate. And the clue in your book that the voodoo lady gave you is that he retired off the coast of Fat Island. And that's a very good clue and a very uh, clear clue because on the map of Fat Island, you can very much see that there is a smaller island just off the coast from it. A good, um, clean hint there. Like it. But the problem is getting to that island, and the closest you can get to that island is to get to a waterfall that's on the mainland of that island that's very near um, the the smaller island. And uh, I think they, they, it's a very clear indication that this waterfall is probably your um, best bet to getting over that island, even if you don't know how. And if you explore that waterfall um, on the top of the cliff above the waterfall, you'll find a pump, a very anachronistic looking pump. And Guybrush will even remark on that if you examine it. He'll say something like, what's this doing in a pirate themed game? Like it looks like something very modern. And that's kind of all you get. You get the waterfall down below. You get that there's some kind of pump above it. The game doesn't elaborate any further. Um, You might just connect yourself that this pump must be connected to the waterfall in some way. What is the solution to this puzzle? You use Jojo the monkey on the pump because the way he's stunned in such a particular position, he acts as a monkey wrench. And when people talk about hating point-and-click adventure games or that point-and-click adventure games don't work as an entire concept, I'm talking about the proper naysayers of this genre. When they talk about it, they're talking about shit like this. This is the shit that people do not like in point-and-click adventure games, and it's why it, it, it sullied its entire reputation, these kind of puzzles. And Monkey Island 2 isn't the only culprit. You don't have to go far through the genre to find similarly obtuse, stupid puzzles like this, where it's just the designer came up with what he thought was like a funny little idea, a funny little joke, and a funny little puzzle, and expects you, the player, to step inside his brain and find that one stupid particular root that he came up with i hate this puzzle i absolutely hate it i hate that it's unclear that jojo is in the shape of a wrench i hate that it's a monkey wrench you're supposed to you're supposed to just make that connection oh yeah oh yeah this monkey i have is clearly now a monkey wrench and then like the pump is very unclear that you need to use a wrench on it and how can i and when you use monkey when you use the monkey i'm going insane here when you use the monkey wrench on the pump it makes the waterfall shut off and reveals a cave behind it but this is 0 out of 10 worst puzzle, worst kind of puzzle to put into a point-and-click adventure game. And this whole episode is me kind of critiquing the point-and-click adventure genre almost. And I couldn't critique it more. Do not do shit puzzles like this. Monkey wrench. Monkey wrench. I hate it. But let's move on from it because I actually hate more of this puzzle line. You go through the cave and it leads um, under the water and you can get over to that island off the coast of Fat Island. Like, puzzles should be very clear. They can be cartoony, and they can have cartoon logic, but if you can 
meet the game halfway and step into its cartoon logic and you do after you start playing a game for hours and then you can kind of you know become attuned with it and those are the best puzzles but monkey wrench is just way too far i went back to monkey wrench i wasn't done with it it's just a step too far it's too obtuse and now i'm moving on you make it over to the island and there's a house on the island and if you go in there you find a kind of very surly looking pirate and it was revealed that he's rum rogers jr and he inherited this house from his father and he complains that there's always pirates coming to his house looking for treasure presumably looking for his father's map the big whoop so you want to have a poke around this house obviously but rum rogers absolutely will not let you he wants to challenge you to a game to uh, make sure you're like worthy of being a pirate and you might think it's sword fighting and there's a, a certain form of sword fighting that's um, very famous within the Monkey Island series but since I'm talking about two I won't get to talk about it on this episode it's, it's brilliant but no he challenges you to he challenges you to a drinking competition and because you're playing as weedy Guybrush Threepwood and this guy is a big old surly pirate you cannot win the drinking competition you can challenge him as many times as possible but guy rush will always just pass out after the first slug of beer the solution to this puzzle is um replacing your drink with some near grog grog being the main piratey drink um i know in the monkey island universe but i think in the past as well i'm I'm, I'm gonna pause and look up if grog is real wikipedia says grog is any variety of a psychoactive beverage mostly alcoholic beverages the word originally referred to rum diluted with water so yeah monkey island and the pirates therein are always talking about and drinking grog so the solution to this puzzle is you have a bottle of near grog which is non-alcoholic grog and you need to pour it into your cup when he's not looking now this puzzle is fine because I think once the player gets to this drinking competition, there is a very large chance that they'll already have that bottle of near grog. They might have, they'll, they will have stumbled upon um, the method of acquiring it. And this is the puzzle I alluded to earlier on, where I think it's one of getting this bottle of near grog is one of the best puzzles LucasArts ever came up with in the game. If they just signposted it, like I said, if they signposted the method of getting the near grog, because I would like the player to get to this drinking competition and say, oh, I can't, Guybrush can't handle his booze, I need maybe non-alcoholic uh, drink or something, but I want the player to know where they can get that non-alcoholic beverage, to have it implanted in their mind that they know where it is. And what's so frustrating about this puzzle is that the game is so close in many ways to perfectly orchestrating uh, this feeling of, of, the, of having the player sitting in that room and going, I know where there's non-alcoholic beer in this game, I need to go get it. So let's go through that. Right at the beginning of the game in that dingy bar on Scab Island, when you try to order drink, and this is before Guybrush has his library card with the um, fake age on it, if you try to order alcohol from him, he won't serve you without ID. And then he'll say, I can give you some near grog, it's non-alcoholic. And then he goes, oh wait, what am I talking about? Kate bought out all my near grog. And then you can inquire further and he'll tell you it's that uh, the courageous Captain Kate Capsize has bought out all his near grog. And then any talk of the near grog or of Kate disappears from that conversation tree. You can't reiterate it. You can't have him tell you again. You can't have Guybrush say, if I can't have any real grog, can I have that near grog? Only for the bartender to remind you, I, I told you I sold it all to Kate Capsize. So it disappears. And, this is, and you'll have this conversation 
near enough the beginning of the game. So this has planted a seed that leads to a puzzle later on, but since you can't be reminded of it, um, you won't remember it. It's like, you know, most people have lives. And then eventually you'll meet Kate Capsize. She's the lady who you booked a boat off of earlier on. I, I talked about that. She's um, standing outside Stan's used coffins on Booty Island, handing out flyers um, for her boat rental. And you can bring it up. Um, if you've had that conversation with the barman, you can bring it up with her again. So, yes, I'll compliment the game in this regard. You can be reminded. Garbush will say something like, aren't you the Kate who bought all the near grog? Can I have some? No, essentially how that goes. But again, that's it. It disappears then. The game really needs to reinforce as much as it can the fact that this character, Kate Capsize, has near grog. She just she has a non-alcoholic beverage. And if it just emphasized that more, that would be one of the keys to making this puzzle so satisfying. Because the solution to acquiring her near grog is actually fantastic. She is handing out flyers and you can ask for one of her flyers and she'll give you one. And the flyer in your inventory is very much just like her face on a poster. Like very clearly, like the, the, the item image is very helpful in this regard, unlike Jojo the monkey wrench. Very helpful, it's just very much a kind of a neutral face of Kate Capsize. And on Fat Island, there is a wanted poster for Guybrush Threepwood hanging on the wall. It's that one I talked about earlier where someone has drawn a mustache on it because Guybrush is supposed to have facial hair now. And I think anyone stuck in this game, wandering around, who has that poster of Kate Capsize on them with her face and has the wanted poster there, they might come to this just randomly as an experiment. And it, it, you can't, it works. You can put Kate Capsize's leaflet over your wanted poster. And then as soon as you leave the screen, Kate will appear because she she has talked that she's going to visit Fat Island. It's all very convenient, but whatever. And then a guard will look at the wanted poster and say, aren't you Guybrush Threepwood? And she's like, no, I'm Kate Capsize. What are you talking about? And it's, it's cartoon logic, like I said, but it's a cartoon logic that works for me because the wanted poster has changed. The guard won't look at it any further and he'll throw her in jail. And then if you visit the jail, which you were locked in earlier on, she's in there, uh, unlawfully arrested in a way, and her inventory, sorry, her like possessions, like the same thing that happened to you earlier on, her possessions have been taken off her and put in a vanilla envelope that's on a shelf. And then if you pick up that vanilla envelope and open it, you got her bottle of Neergrog. So let's improve this puzzle. Like I said earlier on, I think one of the key things would be to reinforce the idea that Kate has the near grog and you should know it. It should be one of the things that's intrinsic to, the, to what you know about Kate Capsize, that she has non-alcoholic beer on her. Therefore, when you've reached that drinking competition, you'll want to get Kate's non-alcoholic beer. Another thing I think would be good is rather than just as a player experimenting and putting the picture of Kate on the wanted poster, I think you should want to clear your name on Fat Island. There is no repercussions for for not having um, Kate's face on that wanted poster. Guybrush is technically a wanted man at still point. He escaped from Governor Fat earlier on, but there is no gameplay repercussions. I think what would be good if some of Fat Island was restricted to the player while that wanted poster where Guybrush's face was still up intact. So maybe there's some parts that you can't explore because there's a guard there or something. So that would kind of make the player want to clear Guybrush's name. You'd want to kind of figure out a way to make Guybrush not wanted on Fat Island so he can explore it freely. Therefore, you might come to that um, great puzzle of putting Kate's face up on the poster um, in a more kind of um, natural way, in a more kind of um, pointed way. 
But finally, the thing I would change the most, and uh, like this is who I am, this is the kind of shit I've ruminated on for years. I love this game, I love this genre, and I, I've thought about it a lot. What I would change, and it's a big thing, you gotta go, you got to go back to like um, early design of this game. The developers have to go back and change a lot. This is, this is the biggest change I'd make. I would add a whole new screen and maybe a whole new character in that jail. I'm going complete fan fiction on this now. This is just complete a fan waffling on about how, uh, something that completely doesn't exist. But I think there's a good reason, and I'll tell you what this is. I would, instead of having those vanilla envelopes on just a shelf to pick up, I would have maybe, um, you know, like in prisons where you, you always see in movies and stuff, you know, you have someone who returns the possessions to someone as soon as they're getting out of jail. I'd have a clerk or someone behind a desk who you can go to whose whole job is to return possessions to someone, um, the, the possessions that have been taken off them when they got arrested. This way, this would make it, this whole concept of your um, items taken off you and put into an envelope when you're in jail much more clear. It would be, it'd be a whole thing. You'd, you'd remember it. And when you get out of jail that first time, all your inventory would be gone and you'd have to go into this clerk. And I don't think you need a puzzle. He could be just maybe completely into his job, like I said, just writing fan fiction now. He could be into his job. He could be completely just, you know, disaffected with everything else. He's all about just um, things running smoothly. And he'd, he'd have no problem giving you back his possessions. But what I think would be good about this is that it would make much clearer in your head the idea that when someone is thrown in jail, their possessions are given to this clerk and you get the possessions back off this clerk. And I think then if you kind of turn this all around and look at it from from the goal, the initial goal, which is I need to get non-alcoholic beverage to win the drinking competition. Oh, the game has reinforced the fact I know Kate Capsize has non-alcoholic beverage. What if I get her arrested so that this clerk that I've made up takes her possessions off her and then I can get the near grog that way? I think that is a ace puzzle if i do say so myself that is a brilliant puzzle the way it is in the game now you're just going to stumble upon it you're just going to put that poster up on the wall you're going to get kate arrested you're going to go into that jail and see that oh now there's a new vanilla envelope on the shelf oh now i have the near grog and that absolutely works fine my whole reason i've just completely rewrote and reorchestrated this puzzle is primarily to make it something that you can solve yourself and that you can set out to solve because if you set out to solve something it's much more satisfying when you get to that ending and you get that near grog because i have n never played monkey island 2 and tried to get that near grog in order to win that drinking competition it was always oh i have the near grog i've gotten it already because i've accidentally done the whole k capsize thing so the reason i've done this whole fan fiction thing this whole spiel is just because i think probably my best <laughs> biggest lesson to make these games I just think these games are so much better when it's goal-orientated as much as possible. I'm okay to some degree of stumbling on um, the right things to do, the, the, the right solutions. But if, if, this, if this puzzle was reorchestrated that you, you were aiming to do this, you, you knew Kate Capsize had that near grog and you wanted to relieve her of it, and then this complete cartoon logic but in-universe logic of possessions get taken off people when they're thrown in jail can i get her thrown in jail oh i have this leaflet with her face on it what if i put it on the wanted poster that would be a plus um lucas arts um tim schaefer and ron gilbert and dave grossman some of my gaming heroes i give them um a b minus on their puzzle a plus for liam b 
minus for the career game designers. <laughs> Just do better, guys. Come on. So moving past that, you have the near grog. What do you do with it? Well, when you sit down to do this drinking competition with Rum Rogers, he walks off screen to get the cups and get the drink, and you have control of Guybrush for a limited amount of time, which makes which the game makes very clear. Then, oh, I have to do something with this limited time. That's fine. That's a perfect clear indication. And now what you have to do is once he pours your drink and walks off again to to um, put the bottle back, you gotta take your cup with the alcohol in it and you gotta pour it into like a, a tree or a potted plant that's nearby, which is perfect. There's kind of real world logic in that. And where can I dump this drink in this room to plant? You know, you'll come to that conclusion. I think just just visually by looking at the room, and then you pour your near grog into it. It looks the same as grog. And when the drinking competition happens, he ends up passing out from all the real alcohol he's drinking, and Guybrush, who's drinking non-alcoholic, wins the drinking competition. Fantastic stuff. Love it. And now the final leg of this puzzle to get this fourth map piece, and which will also be the final part of me talking about Monkey Island 2 LeChuck's Revenge, is kind of a strange puzzle that I don't really like all that much, to be honest. Now you have free reign to um, wander about and explore Rum Rogers' little shack, and one thing you might come to is that there's a very there's a brick wall on the left side of the screen and it's um kind of it, it kind of sticks out so if you try to interact with this brick wall and that's a bit of a stretch a player might not try to interact with this brick wall it is just kind of a wall and guybrush doesn't really say anything interesting by examining it but there are very clearly defined different bricks on it i, I will say that if you try to interact with it and um, guybrush will push a brick and uh, a trapdoor will open beneath him you fall into a room where you can clearly see a skeleton holding the map piece you're trying to get except Guybrush kind of falls onto a slide that deposits him out of a hole and back onto the um, out just outside the cave where he entered this island so there's a very strange puzzle solution that I think is kind of a little too far in its own mind it, it's, it doesn't really make that much sense to me I'll just go through the solution real quick. Uh, you can get um, a telescope in this game. It is, remember that tree I talked about earlier on where you got you had to climb up and you threw Guybrush the dog into a big pile of maps. Uh, there's a couple of tree houses up that tree and on one of the tree houses there is a telescope. Um, it's, in, it's clearly there. If you've gone up that tree, you will have the telescope. Um, there is a statue outside of Rum Rogers' house, which is a statue with it holding its hand up. If you throw that telescope up on the statue's hand, sunlight will shine through the telescope and shine towards um, rum rogers window which is closed but if you open that window and then do it again the sun uh, the beam of light will shine into the room and it'll hit an empty mirror frame god i thought i was wrapping up here but i we need to get a mirror so yeah it hits an empty mirror frame on the wall so you might think okay if i put a mirror in that the sunbeam might be reflected again uh, there is a, a very fun puzzle to get a mirror. I have to go into that now. I completely forgot about it. <laughs> you know, on Captain Dredd's ship, the one that you're always sailing around on, he brings you to one of the three islands. You can ask him to cruise, just cruise, and that gives you um, the ability to wander around his tiny ship. And there's only one thing of note if you make him do this, is that he has an empty pack of parrot chow that has a picture of a parrot on the cover of it. And in that antique store on Booty Island, you can buy an array of things, most of which don't have any use, like I said. But one thing um, you can't buy is a mirror. There's a mirror hanging on the wall, but he, the shopkeeper won't let you buy it because he has a pet pirate that seems to be very enamored. A pet parrot, I should say, that is very enamored with the mirror. He's looking into it and um, yeah, the antique dealer says, oh, I can't part with that mirror. My parrot loves it. But there's um, a sign hanging nearby that says... Um, do not touch parrot 
if guy if you try to pick that up guybrush will ask can i buy this sign and the the dealer will be like that's obviously not for sale and guybrush will be kind of let down and then your man will be very kind of oh uh, yeah i can sell it to you for five pieces of eight um you know opportunistic and then after you buy that sign there is a nail hanging on the wall so you hang the packet of parrot chow on that nail um, there's a picture of a parrot on the parrot chow and the parrot goes over and looks at that instead of his own reflection in the mirror it doesn't make a lot of sense but i still like that one it's fine it's fine it's a uh, i'll give them i'll give them another b minus <laughs> i give I, I should have been grading them the entire time what, what was i thinking but that's how you get the mirror after the parrot is looking at the parrot chow you can buy the mirror no problem and then um following back this beam of light in rum rogers hut if you put the mirror on the empty mirror frame it reflects again and it the, the beam of light ends up hitting that brick wall on a particular brick and the solution of this puzzle is figuring this out and realizing that that beam of light that that's that brick that the beam of light hits is the one you have to push and when you push that one as opposed to all the other bricks um when you fall into that room again the slide is pointed a different way and it deposits you right beside the map piece and you can pick it up there is a, its own internal logic working in this puzzle that doesn't really work for me i think it's it's just a little bit obtuse and unclear but i will say i think the main barrier from solving this puzzle as soon as you put the telescope up on the statue's hand and start shooting that beam of light and it hits the closed window and you're like okay i opened the window hits the empty mirror frame oh I can put a mirror on here and then it hits the right brick. That's fine. Even if you don't know exactly what you're following and what's happening here, you will kind of um, start figuring that out step by step. That's fine. I do think the biggest barrier is putting that telescope up on that statue's hand. And earlier on, I massively gave the, gave the advice for exploring these games. A good way to kind of nurture exploration was to put items all over the place and no matter where you go you'll pick up an item and you might not even need to use this item anywhere near where you found it it could be on a whole different island but just uh, distribute the the game's main inventory items anywhere you know um, have Guybrush pick it up all over the place have any point and click adventure game protagonist pick it up any any old place all over the world but in this case I think how I would improve this puzzle is do the exact opposite of that and I think because I think the most annoying difficult thing to figure out about this puzzle is that connection of putting the telescope up on that statue's hand and the hand is kind of closed a little bit it looks like it might be in the shape to hold something telescope shaped but I still think it's kind of unclear and what I do is I wouldn't put that telescope on Booty Island up in a tree like way further away from where you need to use it I would actually just put that telescope right beside that statue I would just throw the player a bone I'd have it just maybe on the grass beside the statue it might even look like it fell out of the statue's grip I think this is uh, one point where you don't need to kind of challenge the player to figure out where they need to use this item they got in a random place. I think you should just make the connection between the telescope and the statue by putting the, the telescope right beside the statue as if it just fell out of its hand. Therefore, you will more easily come to the conclusion to put the telescope in the statue's hand and then the actual kind of fun part of this puzzle following that beam of light and um, making sure it gets through the window and onto the mirror and onto the brick. I, I think you'll have more fun figuring that part out and you won't be stuck because you didn't, didn't come to the very random conclusion that you have to put a telescope in the statue's hand. But, like I said, once you do that, you get the fourth map piece, and that is the four map pieces acquired. And now and there's a little epilogue after that, because you can't, Guybrush can't read the map pieces. 
Even though he has all four of them, he can't read read them. But remember, there's our, our little cartographer friend, Wally, back in uh, uh, Scab Island. He can read them, but you stole his monocle earlier on, so he can't see anything. Small, tiny little puzzle. Again, I would have kicked this whole monocle puzzle out of the game, as I said earlier. But in the Fat Island Library, there is a model telescope. It's very clear you will have examined it. If you open it, there is a lighthouse lens, and you can take that, a model lighthouse lens, and you can give that to Wally in place of his monocle, which you yourself stole, and then he can see again. And I, I, I would have taken this whole puzzle out of the game, to be honest, but I do like this is one of the only instances I can think of in any point-and-click adventure game where you put a roadblock on a future puzzle by having to solve a previous puzzle, if that makes sense. You have to take Wally's monocle in part one in order to give it to Captain Dread, and then in part two... Wally not having a monocle is a problem for you because you need to get him to translate or, or figure out this goddamn map. And I like that as a puzzle, even though, no, this whole monocle lighthouse lens fiasco needs to go. And look, that's that. Um, there, is a, there is a whole kind of epilogue part to part two of, um, of Monkey Island 2 um, that I won't go into because it's not really puzzle intuitive. I just wanted to go on about the four map pieces and how to get them. And look, this episode... Uh, kind of one for me I love Monkey Island 2 I love point and click adventure games I loved talking about this I genuinely did I hope anyone will like listening to it but I hope what I managed to do by analyzing uh, these parts of the game in perhaps far too much depth was to kind of shine a light on the do's and do nots of the genre and I think I ended up actually going towards more do nots which which is crazy because I, I always like I said at the beginning I always champion Monkey Island 2 as like one of the perfect point-and-click adventure games, but when I had to get down into the nitty-gritty of it, I just have a ton of problems with it. But I kind of just wanted to demonstrate, through shining a light on its problems, how the point-and-click adventure game is a valid genre. It's an incredibly fun genre, and I still think it is the ultimate hangout genre, and I think Monkey Island 2 is excellent at this, just being in this world. But what I tried to kind of demonstrate with this episode is that it's possible to orchestrate puzzles so they don't feel too obtuse, they don't feel too unfair. Yes, there's only one solution, but there's so many ways you can direct players towards finding these one solutions without really the player thinking that's what's happening. Like I I stood outside of the game and kind of analyzed it and kind of picked it apart but if you're playing the game you, you're not going to do all these um map pieces in like sequential order like i just listed out you're going to just explore and figure them out as you go and kind of my main thing with monkey island 2 is that i think with, with some changes the player's exploration can be so much more goal driven and so much more satisfying because hitting a eureka moment in a point and click adventure game is absolutely it's just it's such a joyous thing and I think I just want to cultivate more of those eureka moments rather than, oh, I, I, I figured this puzzle out because I had the right item. I, I didn't know I was supposed to get this item for this puzzle, but I have it. I think just hitting that eureka moment is just great. And I'll always stand up for this genre. And maybe I'll do another episode someday on another <laughs> LucasArts adventure game. I don't know if I, I if I'd have a justification like I tried to have with this one. It was like, oh, I'm analyzing the point-and-click adventure genre. Maybe I just want to talk about a point-and-click adventure game beat by beat again because i don't know i just really enjoyed this one but i hope folks have made it this far this is a long one and this is a niche one this is a kind of episode where i'm actually thinking is this just for me will anyone else like this but thank you so much for listening to hey look listen my name is liam sheehan and please tune in next time for an episode that probably won't be a beat for beat in-depth breakdown of a 30 year old game 
Thank you.